In ancient times, man roamed the earth in a constant state of hunting or being hunted. Introducing Caveman, where cutting-edge science meets ancient super nutrients. Secure your bottle right now at InfoWarsStore.com. You're listening to Resolution Radio. ResolutionRDO.com You're listening to the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is the Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool, known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program. And here to guide you through the murky waters of the political cesspool is your host, James Edwards. that would be a nice way to ease us into a brand new year of broadcasting here at TPC. Christmas feels so long ago, but what a fantastic run through the holidays we had. And by holidays, I mean, of course, Thanksgiving and Christmas exclusively. It was the Christmas season, and I really loved uh, the presentation we put together for everybody throughout the month of December. Uh, But now the work does begin anew. Had a fantastic New Year's Eve broadcast last week with some of our program mainstays. Keith Alexander, you were out having a little bit of New Year's Eve reveling last week, but now you're back. You got to hear the show. I know you liked it too. Hold on. Let me get you. Let me get you. There we go. There we go. Now try. Can you hear me now? Now we got you. Yeah, no, I'm saying it was a great show. I listened to the replay on it, and it was really good. Well, we're going to try to make tonight's a good one, too. I felt as though last year was our best to date. I say that every year, but you do want to get better. If you're not getting better, you're jumping the shark. A lot of first-time guests. We're going to have more first-time guests, including one coming up this evening as we kick off a brand-new year here, as I said, on TPC. Now, I'll give you the rundown of who's coming up, but uh, just a couple of quick Letters that I wanted to share with you. We had so many Christmas cards. If you sent in a Christmas card or a note in December, whether we were able to read it on the air or not, know that we loved it, we treasured it. This one, though, from Mike in Tennessee. Mike writes, Dear James, in the past year I have become a disciple. After 70 years, I finally found two people that I can agree with on everything. You and Keep, keep up the good work. Merry Christmas. And... Happy New Year, and that came in just a few days ago. How about this one? I, I, I This one actually meant they all mean something. This one was unique, I guess you could say. Dear James, I've been listening to the show since August of 2009, and I'm excited to finally make a contribution. I can't wait to receive the incentive. And um, Happy New Year to you and Keith and your families. I look forward to more years of the show. Well, I tell you what. It took 13 years, but we finally won him over, and thank God for down. that. <laughs> hey, That's one of the guests we've got coming on tonight, making his own victory lap. 
is Harry Cooper in the third hour. He was the one who put together that great incentive package for us that so many of you have received and will still be receiving. We are still going to the post office every day. Much Well, I'm happy to be able to do it. I'm happy that we're able to go to the post office every day because people are making these orders and making these contributions. But the post office experience itself is uh, not a delight, but uh, we're happy to do it for you. And uh, we're still getting those out, so if you haven't received it yet, it will be in soon. Now, coming up tonight, coming up tonight, you're going to hear for the first time from Chris Cantwell. Christopher Cantwell acted as his own attorney during the infamous Charlottesville trial. He's going to tell us about that experience and also what it was like to serve time with Victor Boot, the Russian man who was recently at the center of international attention when he was traded in a prisoner exchange for Brittany Griner. Yes, the, he got to know him. Now, we're not going to probe too closely about the conversations, but I want to just get it. I'm going to ask Chris just generally, what was this guy like? He was made out by the American media to be this terrible, terrible quasi-terrorist, I guess, certainly. Uh, couldn't hold a candle to the anti-American, anti-white lesbian Brittany Griner for whom he was exchanged. So we're going to learn a little bit more about that in the second hour and have a good time doing it. Jason Kessler, journalist Jason Kessler, is going to be on with us later this hour as we begin to talk about the news and current events that are taking place around us and ease back into regular programming after the Christmas season. But Christmas season isn't over yet. It is Orthodox Christmas. Uh, so for all of our Eastern friends, all of our Orthodox friends, uh, we wish you a Merry Christmas tonight on this, the seventh day of January. Got a letter from a listener up in Canada. Uh, dear James, thank you for your excellent work and standing for truth on your radio program. I do appreciate your courageous stand in the battle for truth. These are indeed evil days. During this Advent season, it is comforting to meditate upon our Lord Jesus' incarnation, and we hope the hope that we have because of his perfect life, death, and resurrection, but also to look forward to his coming again in glory as king and judge and the hope of all who love him. I wish you and your family and Keith a very happy New Year. So thank you. Uh, for that, sir. And uh, here we go. Away we go, Keith. Uh, that uh, was the preview. That was a little bit of the mailbag. It's all starting fresh here. First show of the year. I I want to make mention very quickly uh, that this is the ominous 15th anniversary. No, excuse me, 16th anniversary. It happened uh, on January 6, 2007 of the Knoxville Horror, uh, the brutal black on white kidnapping torture, rape, and murder of two uh, young white college sweethearts. And uh, as you'll remember, CNN had me on for one of my national TV appearances to talk with the then chairman of the NAACP about that. And during that interview, he told me that had the races been reversed, had it been a gang of five whites who kidnapped, sodomized, tortured, and then murdered uh, two black sweethearts, that the media wouldn't have covered it at all. And you've heard me tell this story before. The only reason I'm bringing it up now, well, one for two reasons. I do want to remember uh, the victims there in Knoxville. Shannon Christian and Christopher Newsom were their names. And may we never forget those victims and work in their memory to make society a safe and saner place. But that exchange with the then chairman of the NAACP shows you how far from honesty, how far removed from honesty our opponents are. And it was brought back to my mind, that exchange, when I heard the black head of the D.C. National Guard say this week that police should have opened fire on the white people protesting the 2020 election irregularities. That is the two-year anniversary of, obviously, January 6th, which was yesterday. And the D.C. National Guard uh, chief said that they should have been uh, 
had fire rain down on them, should have been shot on sight, and he argued that the police would have fired on the crowd if the crowd were black riders. So, Keith, I ask you, did he miss all of the George Floyd riots when blacks and their communist beatnik allies in Antifa were sacking police stations and burning down police stations and raising uh, square blocks of major American cities to the ground? I don't remember anybody being fired on there. And that was a hell of a lot different. That's apples and oranges compared to the interlopers who walked into the Capitol with the police waving them past. Look, these two guys must be totally unhinged from reality. It's just the opposite. You know, uh, you were saying what would have happened if there had been a white gang torturing, raping, uh, uh, and killing blacks. Well, first of all, it would never have happened. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like the... Black-on-white rape statistics, which are about 100 a day every year, and the, on the other hand, white-on-black rapes, less than 10 every year, which probably means that there's none. This is, you know, all of the racial crime is a one-way street. It's from blacks to white. And if they don't understand that, they're just in denial. As they say, denial is not just a river in Africa. Well, that's for sure. And... I can't remember if we've mentioned this before. Now, the big topic of conversation this hour is going to be the election of the Speaker of the House. As pure political theater, I thought as a political commentator and a, an observer that it was far more entertaining than the Super Bowl. I do think that the Gates and Boebert faction got some decent concessions that are really going to put the cuck Chris McCarthy into a legislative straitjacket. I think that's good. I think that they did use their leverage to the best Unless of their he's ability. he's just lying to them and denying that. Well, I think it's some sort it. of a legal binding agreement. Obviously, they wouldn't take him at his word. I think it's a little bit, it's backed up by more than a handshake. Uh, but in any event, I, I, I have seen so many of the Trump, former Trump allies. Now, Trump never did show a lot of loyalty to a lot of people like Jeff Sessions, but he certainly didn't get it back from those who, who uh, he was propping up in the public eye. We talked about Sean Hannity, who was the biggest sycophantic Trump promoter that there ever was. Backed the election denial claims. I've got no problem with that. But now that the tables have turned, Hannity's saying, I never believed in the big lie for a minute. I mean, I, I value loyalty and honor. And I, I don't mind when... Bad things happen to people who can't exhibit those virtues. We'll be right back. We're just getting started. We're just getting started. Stay tuned, everybody. Find your inner rebel at Dixie Republic, the world's largest Confederate store, located in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. The anti-white, anti-Christ, anti-Southern world ends at the asphalt. Welcome to God's country. Log on to DixieRepublic.com to view our Southern merchandise from flags to t-shirts to artwork. At the store, browse through our extensive collection of belt buckles and have a custom-made leather belt handcrafted in our Johnny Rebs gun and leather shop. That's DixieRepublic.com where you can meet all of your Southern needs. While you're waiting, drop by our Confederate corner for a free cup of coffee and good conversation. Remember, there are no strangers here, just friends who haven't met yet. Dixie Republic, we're not just a roadside attraction, we're a destination for our people. For more information, visit DixieRepublic.com. 
Why does the left lie constantly? Because they get spiritual power from lying. The lies come from Satan, the father of lies. John 8:44. Here's how the political lying process works. Satan provides the beast with a lie. Then the more they use the lie, the more spiritual power they get. Look, the media is a lie multiplier, and this multiplication gives more evil spiritual power to the beast, and that can overwhelm and even deceive the body of Christ, especially when the body is being disobedient to the head. The churches today are incorporated, so they're subordinate to human government. They obey the beast and do nothing to restore our national relationship with God. And the government shall be on his shoulders, Isaiah 9, 6. That verse is not for the present-day church. Rather, it is for the end-time church, the body of the Lion of Judah, a message from Christ Kingdom Ministries. So welcome back. I was thinking during the break, did I tell these stories last week? But now it was on the Sam Bushman show on Wednesday that we covered this, because I don't want to repeat myself if I mentioned this to you last week. But what I was saying was I value honor and loyalty above all of the other traits and virtues. And I don't pity misfortune visited upon people who lack it. And that reminds me, here's Hope Hicks. Hope Hicks was this model young uh, girl who Trump uh, promoted all the way up to be basically the face of his campaign and to an extent his administration and she was the one handling media during those early months i've told you know the story about donald trump jr but uh, hope hicks was one who was lying to the press about that and i told her she was lying and she knew she was lying i said look y'all set the interview up you emailed me james edwards at the political cesspool.org and solicited it as a parent why are you telling the media you didn't know he was coming on the show or he wasn't on the show and uh, so that kind of was a strike against her character, but I don't want to be a fly in the ointment at the time to Trump because we had a lot of hope for him. But I see Hope Hicks is back in the news this week. So just like Sean Hannity, who uh, is running like a scalded dog, really, that's giving like it too a much. Like a bad penny, they keep showing up. Well, it's not even that. I mean, they're like rats from a from a fleeing ship, and so Hannity's throwing Trump under the bus now. So he, here's Hope Hope Hicks, and she says that she's so mad at Trump. I'm so mad and upset. We, he made us all look like dressed, uh, domestic ter- uh, terrorists. We're, we're going to be perpetually unemployed now because of Trump. Nobody would have known this girl's name if he didn't make her a face of the campaign. So, you know, that's the thing. With us, don't betray your principles. Don't betray your brothers. Don't betray your race. And that's the way we do it. And through thick and thin, we're not going to betray people uh, who are worthy of our support, even if it would further ourselves as an individuals. We got to remember we're not individuals. Well, these we're part don't of a collective. It never does work out the way they intend it to. It's just like a Stalinist show trial. They can beg for forgiveness. They can admit to anything. And it never gets them anywhere with the mainstream media. So why do they do it? Well, uh, and the only reason I brought that back up was Trump was back in the news this week. For once again, making bad decisions with who his friends are and aren't. He endorsed Kevin McCarthy. But the whole thing, going through 15 votes, pretty historic. Uh, I think he got fleeced pretty good. I think I saw, we'll ask Jason Kessler about it in the next segment. I think Jason said he wasn't as impressed with the concessions. Uh, we'll see what he says uh, when he comes on in the next segment. But in any event, I, I saw where the New York Times, uh, at the time earlier in the week when there were still upwards of two dozen Republicans voting against McCarthy. The New York Times did an article, and the article, the headline of the article is, How Far Right Are the 20 Republicans Who Voted Against McCarthy? 
And the Republicans who voted against McCarthy were categorized in three different camps. Black, Hispanic, and election deniers. <laughs> White people no longer count. Election deniers. Uh, but anyway, what did you think about the whole the whole show this week, Keith? Well, I was happy to see it in one sense because we've got to have a Republican leader that is willing to engage the enemy. We haven't had that for so long. As soon as the Republicans get in, look, look at the first two years of Trump's presidency. You know, he may as well have been George W. Bush. He basically allowed, uh, what's that guy, the guy that had Eddie Munster's uh, Widow's Peak, um, the guy, uh, Ryan or something, the uh, guy from Wisconsin. He let him run the entire show. They got in his economic plan. None of the stuff that he ran on got made into law or even made any advance towards getting made into law. He turned on Jeff Sessions like a... Um, uh, a sidewinder. On the other hand, somebody like Rod Rosenstein can uh, stab three, can put three knives in his back, and he doesn't notice. You know, it's just, it's it's really terrible to see what has happened. And I'm afraid that when we saw Trump come out for Kevin McCarthy, we're seeing that he hasn't learned anything from his first uh, yep. term. See, that, of that was the thing I was thinking. Okay, if he runs again, maybe he's learned from the failure, relative failure of his first administration in putting all of the guys who are opposed to him in positions of power in his cabinet and in his administration. If he did it again, surely he would have learned by now, right? And, but no, no. I mean, he's go right back to it. So, you know, to hell with him for now. We'll see what happens. Uh, maybe he can win me back. I, I think the, <laughs> I have, the I, Democrats I have are going to have him prosecuted. You know, Oh, did you hear what Sam Dixon said about that last week? We talked about that. Yeah. He said, I said possibility. He said probability, probability. Well, what I would say is we've all heard the old canard that you, a uh, prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich. Well, in New York, Washington, D.C., or Fulton County, Georgia, I'm afraid we're going to see that you can not only indict, but you can convict a ham sandwich. That's, that's it. All right. So after McCarthy finally got in on the 15th vote, I think it was the third longest, most contentious speaker election in, in the history of the country. He finally gives his welcoming speech as Speaker of the House, and he starts praising immigrants. I mean, right off the bat, I'm like, what good are they? They don't do it with not the kind we're getting. They're not any good for, for this country. They're not any good for our people. Only to be outshined by what we saw from Hakeem Jeffries. Now, here's, minstrel show. Here's another one. Yeah. So, keep. you remember the time I got denounced by the United States Congress? Absolutely. Hakeem Jeffries was one of the congressmen at the time who asked to be recognized by the, the whoever was presiding that particular session. And he's, I want to go on the record to denounce James Edwards. And then they did it one by one in turn, just like if you watched any of these votes this week, that's how they did it with me. So, Hakeem Jeffries now is the speaker of the Democratic side of the aisle. And here was his opening speech, it, it, utterly embarrassing and entirely fitting even for America, I think. This is Hakeem Jeffries. It's one minute long. Our new leadership. House Democrats will always put American values over autocracy, benevolence over bigotry, the Constitution over the cult, democracy over demagogues, economic opportunity over extremism, freedom over fascism, governing over gaslighting, hopefulness 
over hatred, inclusion over isolation, justice over judicial overreach, knowledge over kangaroo courts, liberty over limitation, maturity over Mar-a-Lago, normalcy over negativity, opportunity over obstruction, people over politics, quality of life issues over QAnon, reason over racism, substance over slander, triumph over tyranny, understanding over ugliness, voting rights over voter suppression, working families over the well-connected, xenial over xenophobia, yes we can over you can't do it, and zealous representation over zero-sum confrontation. All right, so that, that's a speech before the United States Congress. And as I said, as embarrassing as it is, it's entirely fitting for modern-day America. It sounds like something you would get off of the woke Sesame Street programming now. Here's this guy literally shucking and jiving as he does this ABC sort of rap, I guess. And it's just, it is third-world stuff. I mean, the United States Congress, you used to have men of merit that would be in the United States Congress. I mean, you might have to go back a couple hundred years, but they were there at some point. And now you've got this, just an utter a clown The show. Republicans are cucks. These Democrats are clowns. And when some of the black Democrats would get up to cast their vote for speaker during these 15 roll calls, a lot of them couldn't even just come up and say a name. They had to start singing or preaching or dancing. And it's just, it's third world. It's just, this is it. You'd think this was the uh, Congress of Haiti rather than the United States of I mean, America. look at that. That is so unserious. And, and just, but that's, that's who they are. That's what they are. And that's all they can be. Uh, he about me. I mean, I wouldn't put this guy in in charge of. I can't even think of something he would be qualified to be in charge he, of. He's not qualified for any job beyond being riding shotgun on the neighborhood garbage truck. Anyway, so I'm glad I'm denounced by people like that on the floor of Congress. That's for sure. All right. Well, we'll see what Jason Kessler thinks about what happened in D.C. this week because he was there. He was actually on the ground inside some of these congressional buildings. So he'll take us behind the scenes next. Exposing corruption, informing citizens, pursuing liberty. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News, I'm Dave Collins. New York Democrat Hakeem Jeffries is making history as the first black lawmaker to lead a party in Congress. The American people, understandably after the events of this week, recognize that the Congress is at a fork in the road and are asking the question, what direction will we choose? All 212 Democrats unanimously voted for Jeffries in the final vote for House Speaker early today after Republicans took 15 ballots to finally elect Kevin McCarthy. Jeffries will take the place of Nancy Pelosi as Democratic leader. President Biden is congratulating Kevin McCarthy on becoming Speaker of the House. Biden released a statement today calling for bipartisanship, saying the American people expect their leaders to govern in a way that puts their needs above all else, and that is what we need to do. 
A Virginia teacher is showing improvement after being shot in the chest by a six-year-old student yesterday. The student was taken into custody at Richneck Elementary in Newport News. Police indicated there was an altercation between the teacher and the student before he shot her with a handgun. Newport News Superintendent Dr. George Parker III. Today our students got a lesson in gun violence. A Grammy-winning singer, songwriter, and arranger has died. Alan Copeland worked with everyone, including Ella Fitzgerald, Frank Sinatra, and Bing Crosby. He performed with Robert Mitchell's Boyd Choir and the Modern Airs. Copeland eventually went solo and became a featured performer on Your Hit Parade. Among the songs he wrote, Come a little closer, make love to me. And he won a Grammy for a mashup between the Mission Impossible theme and the Beatles song Norwegian Wood. The Hollywood Reporter says Alan Copeland passed away December 28th in an assisted living facility in California. He was 96. That's Kenneth Burns reporting. This is USA News. So right now may be the perfect time for you to rethink how you pay for health care. And here's why. Not only is it open enrollment for a lot of people, it's also a time you can join MediShare and save even more than usual. And it's true, the typical family switching to MediShare saves 500 bucks or more a month, which is obviously huge for a lot of people, but what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to health insurance. Double. There are 400,000 members. They've shared over $4 billion in medical bills, and it really is a great community, too. People encourage and pray for each other. And here's the thing. If you join MediShare Complete right now, They'll waive your new member fees, and you'll save an additional 10% off all of 2023. That's right. No fee to join, 10% off every month of next year, but it's a very limited time offer. You have to sign up before January 15th. Great savings, great health care. Find out more. Call now, 833-34-BIBLE. That's 833-34-BIBLE. 833-34-BIBLE. Our very first guest of the new year is journalist Jason Kessler returning to the program this evening to talk about the trip that he made to the U.S. Capitol just a couple of days ago, which, of course, coincided, tour. Uh, coincided with the historically contentious bid for the Speaker of the House, which we've been talking about here so far tonight. So Jason's going to be back with us right now to describe what it was like to be in those congressional office buildings and what, if any, opportunities there might be for us there. Jason, how are you? Welcome back and Happy New Year. I'm great. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's always a pleasure. Uh, so, first of all, before we get to your experience in D.C. this week, which I was absolutely fascinated by, we'll talk about that in just a second, but when the red wave didn't manifest itself anywhere outside of the shores of Florida, I said very early on, everybody was expecting a big Republican landslide, myself included, I thought that they would do better. Um, and we know now why they didn't, and that's been talked to death. But I said, you know, if you think about it, before anybody was thinking about what happened this week, I said having a slim majority will actually empower some of the ones that might be a half-step or, 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 or so closer to our positions on some of the issues. And it's not all of a bad thing. I said in some ways it might even be better. Uh, what do you think about what happened this week, Jason? And is having that slim majority, was it any good for us? Yeah, I think we're learning a lot about that dynamic. I mean, it seems like uh, having more Republicans might uh, help 
uh, pro-white issues. But as we all know, that's not actually how it plays out in reality. So after this uh, speaker's hearing, we know that there's about 20 Republicans in actuality in Congress who actually have some spine. They might not be exactly where we want them on all of the issues, but as far as this corrupt pig machine that is pushing these outrageous uh, omnibus bills with funding for more uh, J6 investigations and every uh, crazy anti-white group under the sun, you know, these people might uh, at least have some opposition to that. Jason, this is Keith Alexander. What is your understanding of what concessions were wrung out of Kevin McCarthy by the 20 people? Well, to be honest with you, I mean, I don't think the concessions were all that great. Uh, The one that is being touted as the most potentially important is that any member of Congress can initiate proceedings for the removal of the Speaker of the House now. So uh, Matt Gates has gone on a number of these programs talking about, well, if we can't get rid of Kevin McCarthy, we can at least put him in a straitjacket. And that's what they mean by this. So even though this stalemate has ended, uh, it gives the opportunity for uh, these Freedom Caucus members to initiate another stalemate and grind Congress to a halt if there's ever uh, an issue that comes up that is uh, particularly uh, against their interest. Some of the other things were uh, holding a hearing based on, you know, term limits for uh, elected representatives and uh, having a 72-hour window between when one of these massive bloated omnibus bills are proposed and when uh, members can actually vote on it so that there's at least a little bit of a period of time uh, where this thing can't just be rammed through immediately. Well, I'd heard something about there was going to be a release of documents by the uh, uh, that have been accumulated or collected by the January 6th Commission, and on the other hand, that we're going to have something akin to the Church Commission looking into the FBI. Is that um, do you have any uh, details on any of that? Was that part of the deal, or is that something that was gone with the wind and forgotten? Well, that's fascinating, but uh, none of the articles I've read have said that that was a specific concession. It doesn't mean that it wasn't one of the concessions, but I know that that has been a suggestion that has been going around. I don't think that that's just the um, Freedom Caucus that has been pushing for this kind of uh, church commission either. All right, Jason. Well, let's talk about this. I, As I said, I was entirely fascinated. And in fact, as soon as I saw it, uh, I got in touch with you and said, hey, I'd already planned out the show for this week, but I'm going to take away two segments of, of things that we were going to otherwise talk about because I'd love to have you on to talk about actually being there while this was going on. You were inside some of these buildings. Where did you go? Uh, what did you see? Who did you rub shoulders with? And what were you there for? Well, I was there to get a sense of what the atmosphere was outside of the, this U.S. Capitol building because I've lived in that area for a number of years. And uh, it's part of the matrix that we're forced into that political dissidents like ourselves are never supposed to come in contact with uh, our elected representatives and the people uh, who actually hold any power in this country. Once the media smears you and attacks you, it's supposed to be like you don't exist anymore. But uh, actually, in real life, we have an opportunity we don't have through broadcast mediums. We can just go somewhere where these people are. 
And uh, I went there and I was able to actually run into some interesting people. Like I saw Kellyanne Conway uh, outside of the U.S. Capitol, and I was able to ask her her opinion on the Kevin McCarthy hearings. She apparently is uh, supporting Kevin McCarthy, which I think is unfortunate, but she's not alone in that. Donald Trump is as well. And uh, it's, it really does present an interesting opportunity for us, I believe, even though uh, the federal government is uh, beyond saving at this point. And, you know, we're, we're fortunate to get the, the minor amount of concessions that the Freedom Caucus got out of this whole situation. But it doesn't mean that we can't go there and voice our opinions and bring out some of the inherent contradictions in what's going on in our government. What I saw was I saw a lot of like Black Lives Matter flags, a, a terrorist group in the minds of many Americans outside of the offices of some of these radical black Congress people. You know, I saw transsexual flags and all manner of anti-American, uh, anti-white uh, propaganda. And yet you, there's a palpable feeling that if you're pro-white and were to voice that concern to any of these representatives, you've been treated like a, a terrorist or a domestic enemy. And you name some of the offices. You were right outside the door. You posted pictures of this, which, again, I found very, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, Cori Bush is one that comes to mind. She's uh, a uh, radical uh, black supremacist from Missouri. Uh, and she had the Black Lives Matter flag uh, and uh, Antifa flag. Uh, I was also outside of the office of uh, George Santos, who's been in the news because he <laughs> uh, is a New York representative who uh, I guess was pretending to be Jewish because he, well, he saw he saw Elizabeth Warren try it. And he, why not? Yeah, Elizabeth Warren, if she can be an Indian, he can be Jewish. And uh, everybody wants to climb up the ranks of the diversity totem pole. I like what he said. He said, I'm not a Jew, but I'm Jewish. <laughs> yeah, he said, I'm Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, so there was all that kind of stuff going on. And a lot of the virtue signaling you would expect. Almost every office had a we stand with our brave Capitol Police sign and Ukraine signs and this kind of thing. But uh, I think people maybe should think about uh, how pro-white dissidents can voice their concerns to these people, if nothing else, just to get it on tape that these people don't give a damn about us. Yeah. Jason, let me ask you this. What do you think about Trump's endorsement of Kevin McCarthy? Was that a plus for his campaign, a minus? Uh, to me, it looks like he hasn't learned anything from his first term. And Marjorie Taylor Greene, too. I mean, that, that was perhaps even more eyebrow-raising. Yeah, I think that uh, it's really shameful. It, Trump was a man of the moment in 2016. He was of the vanguard, and he still had a significant amount of the base in 2020. And it's not that he doesn't have uh, a huge platform still, but I think he's behind the times. And uh, some of the rising MAGA stars like Matt Gates, I think, got their opportunity to shine yes, by saying yes. things like, well, we support President Trump. He's our favorite president, but I don't agree with him on everything. He's had a major problem in the HR department. When you see the people he's hired, like John Bolton and all of these mm -hmm. other... I saw uh, John Bolton is running against him. Yeah, yeah, that's right, Keith. Yeah, yeah Bolton said he's going to run in the Republican. Hey, Brad Griffin had a great line on that. Why is he running in the Republican primary? All the neocons are Democrats now, but Bolton was a good one. Uh, but, yeah, I, I liked John what Barr, Gates did and, and Bobert. And, uh, Keith, I bet you'd like to have a – Keith's single, so I can ask him this. You'd like to have a policy session with Bobert, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I 
like I like her attitude. I tell you what, I I think more highly of her now than I do of Marjorie Taylor Greene. Oh, there's not even in, not even in question. Not even a question. Yeah, anyway, Jason, Over the Trooper and Marjorie Taylor Greene really shamed herself by not only taking Kevin McCarthy's side, but sort of uh, spitting in the face of the base by rushing once he became speaker to take a selfie with him, smiling and grinning. Yes, and it just seemed to be a middle finger to the face of uh, the base who had a problem with Kevin McCarthy. That's absolutely right. And so we'll see where it goes. We'll see what, if anything, the concessions get us. One line of thinking was we had a chance to win, and those chances are few and far between. We should have gone uh, for the jugular. On the other hand, some concessions are better than what we normally get, which is none at all. So we'll, we'll see. I did like the theater as it was manned by Gates and Boebert, who, to the very end, never voted for him. I think they voted president, uh, present at, at the very end. Uh, but we'll be back with Jason Kessler, journalist Jason Kessler. Check him out at jasonkessler.us. You can find him in other places as well, a regular contributor to VDare and our good friend Peter Brimlow. jasonkessler.us. One more segment with Jason, and it's coming up right after this. I'm Michael Hill, president of the League of the South. I and my compatriots are Southern nationalists. We seek the survival, well-being, and independence of the Southern people, our people. The League wants a South that enjoys the sweet fruits of Christian liberty and prosperity, but our current situation won't allow it. We must have our independence from Washington, D.C. and the globalists. The present system cannot be reformed. Without independence, we will continue down this path of destruction. To us, this is not acceptable. I'm asking you, Southern man and woman, to join us today to free the South. Call us at 256-757-6789 or see our website at www.leagueofthesouth.com. God save the South. Do you know what is great about America? Ask an Immigrant. Ask an Immigrant is a new podcast dedicated to helping Americans, especially our youth, value, appreciate, and be grateful for the freedoms we have here in America. Join host Lydia Wallace-Nuttle as she interviews immigrants from around the world to discover their inspiring personal stories about why they came to America. To learn more about why America is the most prosperous, greatest country in the world, download the Loving Liberty app or go to lovingliberty.net. Small Business Tech Guys is a team of experts ready to assist you with any service relating to growing your business. Our team specializes in information and technology, social media, general consulting, and HR. We thrive on assisting startup entrepreneurs with growing their businesses. If it's small business, it's our cup of tea. To schedule your free discovery call today, consider sbtechguys.com. We keep an eye on tech so you don't have to. sbtechguys.com. Back with Jason Kessler for one more segment, and we will have to make haste because we could have gone easily an hour with Jason. I want you to uh, be sure to follow him, support his work, and we'll get him to plug uh, where all the places you can find him. JasonKessler.us is a good place to start, but he's got a new live stream that he is working on, and we give him the opportunity to talk about that in a well, second. Jason, let me ask you this. Wa wandering through the Capitol, was that a stroll down memory lane? What did you think about uh 
Uh, did it occur to you that this is the what the two year anniversary since the infamous, uh, you know, or three year anniversary? No, that's two. Yeah, two. Or two two year yeah, anniversary two year, of, yeah, two. of the. Of the uh, so-called insurrection. Well, think of that uh, answer, Jason. And let me also ask you this, because I want to move on to uh, the Charlottesville uh, situation that, that has been in the news a little bit, thanks to you uh, this uh, past few days. But Keith's question, and also, before we depart from this uh, matter of uh, conversation, I thought it was great to have one of our own there looking for some of these, as you called it, drop interviews, uh, where we come up, uh, we have every bit, as much right as anyone to ask a question uh, and seek a comment from, as you put it, uh, our elected representatives. And it, it, it dawned on me as I saw you there and, and, and walking around and posting pictures and videos, why don't any of the alternative media outlets have people doing that? I mean, that's where our people should be. It's just like the light went off. Well, uh, first, the Keith's question. Now, obviously, the U.S. Capitol looks naked without all of those patriots there, many of them with Confederate flags. <laughs> I mean, it just looked awesome to have the people. That was living. That was energy. It was electricity. And now it's just, you know, the the whores, you know, that are put there by the donors. You, you talk and, about uh, gaslighting. The what they tried to get our people to believe about January the 6th is the classic case of gaslighting. But uh, in terms of um, James's question, uh, yeah, I was going up there as an experiment. Can I go up there? Is it safe to go and ask questions? And, and uh, you know, I, I'm a famous person in some ways. You know, I was in a lot of news articles, but uh, no one bothered me. I could go up there. I could speak to the elected representatives. I was able to go into one of the local bars where uh, the congressional aides were meeting and get information from them about what was going on in uh, in the vote today. I, I met some aides for Eli Crane, who is one of the dissenters from uh, Arizona, and they told me he is not going to vote no matter what for Kevin McCarthy, and that ended up being the case. He was one of the guys who, who ended up voting present in the end, like Matt Gates and the others. But I think there's tremendous opportunity there, and that's uh, something that I'm going to be uh, pitching to some of the, the journalists in our movement is why don't you have me uh, do some on the scene journalism? Let's extend our power into the heart of the beast. Because these Congress, uh, these congressmen, and I guess you have to say Congress people now because there are women there too, uh, but they are accessible. They don't, they, they come right out. I mean, they're walking around the streets to go from building to building and place to place. And they are very accessible. Let me ask you this. Well, uh, your comment on that, Jason, and then to Keith. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the only thing is, is just that it's resource intensive to get into D.C. because right. uh, you don't want to park in D.C. There's a ton of vultures trying to tow your vehicles and so forth. And and like I was seeing with the CBS news people who are camped outside of uh, George Santos's office, sometimes you got to wait there like all day. So uh, you got to have funding. You got to have some institutional support, but I think that it's something that our movement should think about because it would be a huge power move. And yes, those people are just walking around. They they have tunnels under underneath the street that go from the office buildings into the U.S. Capitol, but many of them are just out there in the front. And that's how I was able to meet Kellyanne Conway. I think uh, Laura Loomer was out there and saw uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. There's a guy named uh, Alex Stein. Uh, who often, uh, you know, interacts with Marjorie Taylor Greene and AOC and these people, and we can absolutely do it ourselves. 
They want to censor any discussion of pro-white stuff. We can make it happen literally with the most powerful and influential people in the country. Keith, yeah, Keith, he's got a question, then I want to move on to Charlottesville. But, yes, both you and Loomer got questions and answers from Kelly and Conway and AOC, respectively. Keith? I was going to ask you what you think the future holds for Matt Gates and for uh, Lauren Boebert. Uh, what do you think they're going to follow this up with? What? How are they going to uh, be a factor in steering the uh, new Congress? Well, I was highly impressed by these two, you know, and uh, I think, you know, they're professional politicians. They know that doing a stunt like this that puts them in the spotlight is going to increase their profile. And I do believe that they were doing it on principle as well. So it's a win-win for them. And for somebody like me, uh, I I don't put a lot of stock in the political process. But as far as that goes, these people are making their brand about principle and having a spine in compared to the rest of these people who are totally at the behest of the donors. So I'm liking these guys. I'm liking them in comparison to Trump and anybody else that's in the field. And then, of course, you know, it is almost like an apples and orange comparison there, too, between Gates and and Boebert because Gates won his re-election comfortably and i think uh between the three of us here we could have swung bobert's election <laughs> so she won by just a handful of literally a handful of votes but i hope she uh, stays okay so uh let's let's move to charlottesville now i was talking i, I want to say this publicly i was talking with jason earlier this week and of course jason's always going to be inextricably linked with charlottesville because he was the man who he was he, he was the man He's of the, the moment main, main guy and he was the one who took out the permit uh, back at a time in 2017 when we still thought that uh, white people had the right to take out a permit to demonstrate on the public square and have their freedoms of speech and assembly be honored. And I had done that, too, and I told Jason about it, not nearly to the scale of what Charlottesville was, but I had pulled out a permit two or three different times to defend Confederate monuments, and it got news coverage and a couple of hundred people and 500 people, respectively. We beat Al Sharpton. It's all, all been in the news. And I said, Jason, you know, what happened to you could have just as easily happened to me. I pulled out a permit expecting that we would have our basic civil rights be defended, that the police would do their jobs. Nobody could have anticipated that the police would have allowed the Unite the Right in Charlottesville event to descend into anarchy, that there would be a trap laid by conspirators, including perhaps the governor and the, the, the state troopers and everybody involved. I said, Jason... What happened to you could have just as easily happened to me if the system had willed it. And they, they led you into a trap. Anyway, uh, so this is the point I went back to earlier. If somebody proves himself to me to be a stand-up guy, I don't care what the Internet says. I don't care what the press says. I'm going to stand by him. So it's an honor to stand shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder with Jason Kessler uh, because he didn't do anything wrong in trying to defend a monument to the, the man who I believe was the greatest American, Robert E. Lee. So, Jason, with that being said, and that being the case, just let the, before we get to what happened with the verdict this week and the latest news on that, just tell the audience who you are, who you really are. Are you a Southern nationalist? Are you a civic nationalist? Are you more? Are you less? Let the audience know. Remind them. Well, I guess I mostly consider myself a paleoconservative uh, with libertarian uh, tendencies. But uh, I support our people. You know, I'm, I'm pro-white first and foremost. And so I support all of the movements that 
are moving that ball forward, whether that's white nationalism, Southern nationalism, uh, people who are pro-white uh, civil rights activists, whatever the case might be. All right, that's fantastic. And then, so we know, and we covered Charlottesville the night that it happened. I, I have said this before. I doubt this will be the last time I say it. But if you go back through what is this will be now later this year, our 19th year on the air, 18 full years, now into number 19, and uh, or approaching 19, rather. If you go back, you say, give me one show to listen to. If you got one show, we got a lot of shows, a lot of great guests, celebrities, the Buchanan interviews, I mean, you name it. But I, I said, you know, pound for pound, dollar for dollar, if you want one show, go to the show uh, from the night of Unite the Right because we were live on the air. Our, our program is every Saturday we night. We had a representative just, there. And-, and we had a lot of people on that were there. And just to hear the eyewitness testimony of what was taking place and compare that now to the media's narrative of it is just totally, it's totally It's quite jarring. obvious that you were led into a trap. But and it's amazing it wasn't bloodier than it was. I agree with that. I well, do there's agree a with direct that. correlation between how much any given event actually represents our interests and how much the enemy is going to attack it. You know, uh, we, we have we should do everything to defend the January 6th people, but make no bones about it. Charlottesville was the event where we were explicitly pro-white. And there's never been an event of that scale, you know, in this era uh, that, yeah. you know, people can point to. So we should defend it with everything we've got. Well, Jason, let me let me ask you this. Cause we only got two minutes left, and I knew we wouldn't have enough time with you. The, the, my point in bringing that up a moment ago was we've covered Charlottesville from the day of it through the trials, and we I think we did a month of programming during the trial fall before last. And uh, now there is some news on that. Uh, what is the news? What happened in the last few days? And what kind of coverage has it gotten? Well, like we were expecting, the verdict, uh, the amount that the plaintiffs got from us is coming way, way down. Uh, They had originally gotten a $26 million verdict, $24 million. So the vast majority came from something called punitive damages, which is not related to compensatory damages. Compensatory is the value of the actual injuries. Punitive is just the jury saying, this is how much we don't like these guys. So the vast majority of it is then just saying, we don't like you. Uh, but you can't do that. Uh, under Virginia law and under federal law, there has to be some kind of uh, proportionality to how much they say we are charging you because we don't like you. So uh, Virginia has a cap of $350,000. So this widely touted number that these uh, Jewish and Democrat elites uh, who sued us have been telling all of their media buddies 26 million 26 million 90 percent of it got wiped out even the jewish media like the telegraph is reporting on this but originally they weren't no one was reporting on it for days and i thought what in the world is going on so actually all of the news articles that you see about this washington post jewish telegraph it all started because i contacted a local yes. reporter yes. in charlottesville and said why aren't you covering yeah, I mean, it was heralded, crowed from uh, the mastheads of every news outlet when the verdict was initially handed down. But the final score, well, barely anybody, barely made a blip. And it wouldn't have made a blip at all had it not been for you. Jason, we'll talk to you again soon. You want to know more about Jason Kessler, find out who he really is. How can they find you, Jason? we got about 15 seconds. 
Go to jasonkessler.us. On that page, you will see links to my Odyssey, where I've got my live streaming channel. That's the main thing. Go and subscribe to my Odyssey. But you also see my Telegram and my Twitter right there on jasonkessler.us. Follow him at Twitter. I do. And uh, that's why he's here tonight. I saw what he was doing in Washington. Jason, I would love to see you in Washington more doing what you did this week. We'll talk to you again soon, brother. Stay tuned. Hour number two up next, everybody. You're listening to Resolution Radio at ResolutionRDO.com. Napa know-how. A Napa guy knows the only way you'd give a freshly minted driver a brand new car is if he promises to never drive it. Instead, let him grind the gears and knock over the neighbor's mailbox in something a little more suited to his skill level. And with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, he can safely drive something that's nearly as old as he is. It's not perfect, but it's perfect for him. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. The only untold story of World War II you will ever need to know. You have done a magnificent job. The visual impact that people will experience when they see what you have produced, you've been very impartial in your presentation, and you have allowed the people, the viewers, to make up their own mind. You present the the evidence, and anyway, it's an honor to have you on the program. find out more on this phenomenal documentary series, go to thegreateststorynevertold.tv. You're listening to Resolution Radio at resolutionrdo.com. In ancient times, man roamed the earth in a constant state of hunting or being hunted. Introducing Caveman, where cutting-edge science meets ancient super nutrients. Secure your bottle right now at InfoWarsStore.com. You're listening to the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is the Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool, known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program. And here to guide you through the murky waters of the Political Cesspool is your host, James Edwards. Welcome back to hour number two of our first broadcast of the new year. It's January 7th, 2023. James Edwards and Keith Alexander now in what will be our 19th year on the air. How do we keep begging it? I don't know, by the skin of our teeth. (laughs) As long as Jesus continues to tarry his second coming, we'll try to be here for you, ladies and gentlemen. But I I think you are in for an enthralling hour of radio right now. I, I truly do. Christopher Cantwell is making his debut appearance on the show this hour. He is a comedian, a writer, a voice artist who, is, who acted as his own attorney in the infamous Charlottesville trial. Now, I had known the name Chris Cantwell for some years. I knew him through reputation, uh, but we had never actually spoken until much more recently. 
But uh, as you know, we covered that Charlottesville trial with about a month of, of programming here in November of year before last. As well as the actual Charlottesville event. And we've covered Charlottesville from before the event, the night of the event, all the way through. But we, we did a month of programming, and I was tuned in every minute of that trial. There was a phone line you could uh, call into and, and listen, and I listened. And any time Chris was up to speak, I was absolutely blown away. I mean, this is a man who's not a trained attorney. He represented himself in that much talked about, widely publicized civil trial. And I mean, not only would he have blown out any trained attorney, he did it with such a flair and panache. I thought I was listening to something that was scripted like a movie. I mean, you just I had never heard anything like that in my life. Chris, I'm not trying to, to put the shine on you or to blow smoke at you, but uh, having the opportunity to talk to you tonight is um, it's very interesting for me. How are you doing, and welcome to the show. I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be on the show. It's a pleasure to be on AM radio, which which I, I, I don't think gets nearly enough attention in the world. I know you guys are online, and, and obviously, too, but uh, you know, in prison, AM radio is the coolest thing in the world. And so uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be on with you guys. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for that. Yeah, not a lot of people uh, pay attention to, to to that aspect anymore in the in the day of uh, live streaming and whatnot. But uh, in any event, this is your day of appearance. So tell us who you are. Uh, tell us who you are. What the audience, what you want the audience to know about you, uh, leading up to and including your involvement at the event that took place in 2017 in Charlottesville, Virginia. Who am I? I keep on asking myself that, and I keep on getting different answers. But fundamentally, what I am is uh, I'm the host of a podcast called The Radical Agenda, which you can find at ChristopherCantwell.net or RadicalAgenda.com. Uh, you have a hard time finding me on social media because, uh, you know, uh, I'm I'm not fit for broadcast airwaves most of the days, let's say. And um, <laughs> But... Uh, <laughs> I, I kind of got my, my start in politics in, in 2009. I, I ran for Congress as a libertarian and stuff. And then uh, as time went forward, uh, let's say my, my political views started shifting rightward in large part due to immigration. And, uh, well, that just put me on the wrong side of a whole lot of people, <laughs> which, which ended me up in prison and ended me up in that courtroom in Virginia and all of this stuff. And uh, that's the short version. Let me ask you this, if I could. Uh, you've been in the big house, the real big house. It's not like some Jimmy Cagney movie from the 40s or 50s or something. Tell us what your experience was. Well, I was housed in a communications management unit at the uh, United States Penitentiary in Marin, Illinois. Um, and a communications management unit uh, kind of has its ups and downs because you're separated from the rest of the, the prison population. And so you don't have a cellmate. You don't. Uh, you don't have to deal with your average gangbanger most days. Uh, but the communications management unit is sort of like a prison within a prison. Some people call it Little little Guantanamo or Gitmo North. They're going to have it of putting people there. A lot of my neighbors would name Muhammad. Uh, but in addition to that, um, in addition <laughs> to that, if you've got any kind of there. like, what's that? A lot of political prisoners. Yeah. So I was in there with like uh, Victor Boot, Manzer Alcazar, Matt Hale, Bill White, um, you know, how many, I know everybody knows Victor Boot because he's been on the news. Uh, you know, Matt, Matt Hale is a founder, one of the founders of the World Church of the Creator. Uh, Bill White was sort of involved with him. 
um, and uh, a lot of interesting people in that place. Well, it's like a dick. I, I, I imagine this like uh, the way a, a cast of, of the Dick Tracy villains would be presented. I mean, you're naming some names there that have gotten international attention very recently. I don't want to go to that yet, though. I want to save that for the latter half of this hour. I, I, I want to get back to Charlottesville for. Again, folks, utterly fascinating. We will we will highlight that in just a moment. But uh, I, I I noticed that there was a, a very much a discrepancy between the punishment that some people uh, who were in Charlottesville that day received versus some of the others. Uh, so, for instance, I know that you were absolutely attacked and accosted, and I don't know if any of those people uh, heard the first knock at the door, uh, but you actually did have to, well, as you just mentioned, you, you went to prison. What was that about? Well, I, I didn't go to prison over the Charlottesville thing. I spent 107 days in the Albemarle Charlottesville Regional Jail when that thing happened in pretrial detention. Um, but I ended up, uh, the case against me fell apart. They charged me with three class three felonies in Virginia. I was facing five to 20 on each of those counts. Uh, they said that I had, uh, that I had pepper sprayed a uh, a Jewish man and a um, and a transgender woman of color, and uh, the uh, they, they are very special people, as you may have gathered. Especially if you're a Democrat, the Democrats that's what they're all about. And so, um, these people saw a picture of me pepper spraying somebody in self defense, and then they took that picture to a magistrate, and they say, "Hey, this guy's a Nazi, and he made me too." And uh, so they arrested me for. Uh, assaulting these people, and they charge you with uh, malicious injury by caustic agent and malicious release of gases. And so when I, at the preliminary hearing, they dropped two of the charges. They said there's no evidence that he did anything to either one of these people, and they kept the malicious release of gases charge, saying, you know, I released pepper spray in a crowded area, and if it was self-defense, and you know, that's uh, then that's up to the trier of fact at the preliminary hearing. Um, but they ended up letting me plead guilty to a couple of misdemeanors, and I walked away from that thing with my carry permit intact back in 2018. Chris, Chris I got to interject here. How white knuckling is that experience? I can't even imagine. You know, well, the suspense you know, of waiting to hear what they're going to rule because, I mean, our, of course, our, our courts are criminally corrupt. Well, and, and they're all the more so in Charlottesville, Virginia, you got to understand, right? I mean, you know, that city. The I'm Republican surprised you skated. I mean, innocent or not. Innocent or not, and I'm surprised that you skated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Charlottesville, Virginia is a little north, ivy-colored North Korea. <laughs> well, there you go, right? And so, you know, they, the, the Republican Party doesn't even run candidates for city council anymore. It's the Democrats versus the DSA, and the DSA is winning. And so, like, that place is really scary to be facing a criminal justice system because they're basically, like, they, they take one look at your skin, and they have already know what, what the outcome of the trial is going to be. And so... Um, that was pretty, pretty nerve wracking, which is why I ultimately ended up pleading guilty to the misdemeanors. I mean, their case fell completely apart and they were like, well, do you want to face 40 years in prison or do you want to plead guilty to two misdemeanors to go home with you, with your carry permit? And I was like, I'll take two misdemeanors and I'll go home with my carry permit. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even imagine the stress uh, that one would be under in that situation, knowing how this system operates. Boy. We've got one of the men on uh, the line right now, though, Chris Cantwell. We're going to give you all of his contact information. An hour is not going to be enough with this guy. We'll be right back. First break of the hours. I'm Michael Hill, president of the League of the South. I and my compatriots are Southern nationalists. 
We seek the survival, well-being, and independence of the Southern people, our people. The League wants a South that enjoys the sweet fruits of Christian liberty and prosperity, but our current situation won't allow it. We must have our independence from Washington, D.C. and the globalists. The present system cannot be reformed. Without independence, we will continue down this path of destruction. To us, this is not acceptable. I'm asking you, Southern man and woman, to join us today to free the South. Call us at 256-757-6789 or see our website at www.leagueofthesouth.com. God save the South. Have you ever heard of Loving Liberty Ladies? Well, the Loving Liberty Ladies are here to help you learn our American heritage and the way it affects today's society. The Loving Liberty Ladies also have a discussion guide called Proclaim Liberty. And with this guide, you can start your own group in your hometown. Get yours today on our website at lovingliberty.net. Look for our lesson supplements, too. They're free. To hear all the special offers and to join the fight for freedom and liberty, please go to lovingliberty.net. The spirit of the American West is alive and well in Range Magazine, the award-winning quarterly devoted to the issues of the American West. Each issue contains informative articles, breathtaking imagery, as well as the culture of cowboy spirit today, and gift ideas like this year's Buckaroo calendar. Order online from rangemagazine.com. Loving Liberty Network salutes the spirit of the American West at rangemagazine.com. Unlike so many other media outlets, I actually care to know the other side of the story. I care to know Jason Kessler's side of the story. I care to know Chris Cantwell's side of the story, and I'm so glad that you've joined us for this journey. Tonight and for all these many years now, almost two decades on the air, thank you. And welcome back. So Chris Cantwell, utterly fascinating. Uh, Chris, I, I'm looking at everything I want to talk to you about this hour and i'm looking at the clock and uh i'm starting to get a little nervous here so i, I want to speed it up just a little bit your thoughts on i mean obviously we, we talked about the charlottesville civil trial uh we've talked about that a lot but the the various criminal trials that have been held um for the different participants at that event i agree with what donald trump said there were good people on both sides there were good well <laughs> I take that. <laughs> Wait a Maybe not on the other <laughs> side. <laughs> I know that there were good people on our side, uh, and but th there were probably some bad actors as well. But the, the the punishment for the unite the right participants versus the domestic terrorists on the other side. I mean, what would you say about that? The, what I say about that is the only way that you can explain what happened in Charlottesville in August of 2017, or for that matter, in D.C. in January of 2021 is that the intelligence agencies are behind it. If these people were not aided by, by spies, they wouldn't be immune from prosecution. And so we've got a situation where you have state-sponsored criminals, state-sponsored terrorism domestically in the United States, and I don't think that there's any other way to interpret it. We just had Jason Kessler on during the first hour. A nice one-two punch here. Obviously, a little bit more than tangentially related. 
but uh, we were talking with him about some other things as well. But your, your thoughts on the latest news with regards to how the judgment had been reduced and your, your whole thoughts on the so-called justice system at large? Well, you know, the, uh, you, you're, you're very right that we're not going to have uh, enough hour left for me to talk about my opinions <laughs> on the justice system generally. But I'll say, you know, the, uh, the, the damages being reduced is, you know, a, a, a welcome uh, development. Uh, the fact that they were not reduced to zero sort of troubles me because, you know, I don't have any money to pay these people anything. And frankly, I get the same problem at five or five million that like these people are dangerous criminals and I don't want them taking my money and financing their terrorism. So, um, you know, the my thing with the with the with the verdict was, you know, they had six counts on that thing. The first two counts alleged a violent conspiracy. The second two counts, you could have found us liable for any number of things, including harassment. Okay, and. I argued that, well, we weren't sued for harassment. If you don't have a verdict on counts one and two, which they didn't, the jury deadlocked on the on the federal violent conspiracy counts. And then they come after us on these like state charges that say it could be harassment or intimidation or any number of things. And so I'm like, well, that's not what we were sued for. These state counts simply followed from the federal counts. And you can't hold me liable for something I wasn't sued over. And the judge disagreed with that assessment, but I'm going to take it to the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals because, you know, when you when you look at it, uh, I don't think that there's any refuting what I'm saying. Christopher, this is Keith. You know, your cap on the um, punitive damages, (laughs) an unlikely hero for you. That's because of the lobbying interests of the uh, efforts of the insurance industry. That's why you have caps on punitive damages and you were probably the unintended beneficiary of that at least in virginia well i was talking with keith during the break before you came on chris about that because he is an attorney by trade he's uh been a attorney how, how long have you been an attorney keith over 46 years and, and in a very well, state to state against you uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> well for every uh, for every ten thousand corrupt attorneys you've got one keith alexander or one sam dixon but Anyway, Keith was explaining to me before you came on how this varies from state to state and how Virginia is actually a good state uh, to have it in, even better than Tennessee or Mississippi. Well, well, Tennessee is better than Virginia, but then Mississippi, it's wide open, and you would think that it would be better for someone like you in Mississippi. But as far as punitive damages, you know, they have no cap on it in Mississippi. And when it comes to Tennessee, it can only be as much as the actual compensatory damages, like doubling it. All right, we don't want to we don't want to get uh, mired down in esoteric stuff, but it was an interesting uh, little talk before you came on this hour, uh, Chris. But uh, anyway, let's go back to your performance there. Now, if uh, people didn't hear it for themselves, there's no way that I could possibly verbally paint that picture for them. I had the privilege of having listened to the entire Charlottesville trial. I mean, it was gut wrenching, it was horrific in some ways, but then there was Cantwell, and 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 what I heard. <laughs> I mean, you you, you shown out even you you, you, shot, you you were the bright spot in the well. It was thing. just the standout. It was the breakaway star. I mean, a lot of people did well. This was something that again Hollywood couldn't have scripted, and you did this while being deprived because you were, let's just say, a ward of the state at the time. Uh, having you you were deprived of the normal resources anybody would have had representing themselves or acting as their own attorney. You were deprived of all of a lot of that. You can tell us what you were deprived of and you still managed to really show up. 
Well, yeah. So, I mean, when, when I went to when I went to prison over this thing that was unrelated to the Charlottesville matter, uh, like I said, it put me in this communications management unit, which they limit your communications. They wouldn't even let me have the complaint for trial prep. OK. And so I was really hindered in my trial preparations. And then every time they moved me, they stripped me of all my papers. Right. And so I was arrested in New Hampshire. They shipped me to Illinois. Then they shipped me to uh, Oklahoma. And then they put me in the Central Virginia Regional Jail during the trial. And so every time they did this, they took all my papers away from me. And I didn't have any computer resources at the jail. And as I walk into the courtroom, they, they dumped this box of papers and this encrypted hard drive on me. And they're like, yeah, here's all the evidence. Have at it. And I'm like, well, how am I supposed to do this? You know, but I was fortunate in that since I had that criminal matter down there in 2017, I really I knew a lot about what happened already. And so, you know, and and I am uh, I am a broadcast professional myself and I and I got away with words, you might say. And so I managed to run circles around these people. And it was a lot of fun. No, you, you did. I mean, as as I said before, ladies and gentlemen, if you didn't hear it. What we can tell you about it tonight won't come near to to doing it justice. But I, I listened, and I, there were trained attorneys who, who were presenting during that case throughout the trial, and and, and you know, what Chris I, did was I, it was it was Hollywood esque. It was how did you do? I mean, you, tell us, tell us the truth. You got to have here's the thing. What's your so IQ? Like, it's got to be two or three. Did you have some jailhouse lawyers a, helping you? Or a, what? No, no, no. He's got three hundred IQ. Uh, it's got to be off the charts. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not quite 300, but you know, I, I break, I break them triple digits there. The, um, the, you know, the, the defense attorneys who were there, I mean, they, they meant well enough. I mean, their whole thing was just to call attention to a lack of evidence, right? I, I went in there with higher ambitions. I am, I am still determined right now, and I will be until it happens or I die, to tell people the truth about what happened down there, right? The whole, you know, that whole January 6th fiasco never would have happened if people understood what happened to us in Virginia. OK, and so I want everybody to understand that we were set up down there and I was determined to prove that. And I knew a lot of people were going to be paying attention to this trial. And I think I succeeded. I mean, you know, this headline is that there was a twenty five million dollar verdict was reduced down to two million or whatever. But the the the, the headline should be that we beat them on the violent conspiracy counts, that there was no violent conspiracy down there. And I did that. I beat those people. I won. Okay. And so I was determined to do that. And fortunately, like I said, you know, when I had this, my own criminal matter down there, I had gone over every frame of video. I knew who the players were. I knew who started the fight. I, I, I had like played these videos back in slow motion a thousand times. So I knew what was going on and I knew that these people were lying and I'm good at making fun of people and, and making idiots out of liars, right? And and so like when I'm up there questioning these people and they're lying, I'm illustrating the ridiculousness of what they do by asking them questions. You know, and as uh, as Keith is surely aware, you know, as a when you're questioning a witness, you don't get to make statements, right? But you can speak through your questions, you know. And I had read uh, <laughs> right before I went down there. I, I read an interesting book by Trey Gowdy uh, titled Doesn't Hurt to Ask, and he's a former federal prosecutor who, uh, who had, um, was in Congress for a while, and he talked about, like, uh, questioning technique. And, uh, and I've also done some, like, reading about, like, influence, like Robert Cialdini and Scott Adams and stuff like that. So, I mean, you know, I, I, uh, I, I know how to get a message across, let's say, and I was managing to do it through the questions. 
And these people knew that they were getting caught in their lies, and it made them really uncomfortable, which boosted my ego, which, you know, is basically what I live for. And so <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I ran circles around, and we had a lot of fun. Well, you know, we had people that tried to talk me to go to, into going to Charlottesville and to D.C. on the January the 6th, and I turned them all down because I'm old enough to have remembered the Civil Rights Movement, and I knew the whole thing was a setup. You know, yeah. the whole thing in the Civil Rights Movement, it was a theatrical production. They sent them to the Highlander Folk School. They got them all on all of that type of stuff. And they, um, you know, it was, and they had battalions right. of lawyers with money. Got to be know, right to, back. To, we got to take a hard break. Hang on. We'll be we back. Didn't have. Chris Catwell's right back with us. Stay tuned, everybody. USA News, I'm Dave Collins. Finally, the country has a Speaker of the House. After four days and 15 attempts, the clerk announced the results of the wee hours of Saturday morning. The Honorable Kevin McCarthy of the state of California has received 216. Republican leader Kevin McCarthy then took the oath. Who had to God? I said it. And now, the hard work begins. Meanwhile, Congressman Hakeem Jeffries of New York made history as the first black lawmaker to lead their party in Congress. That's Jeremy Scott. A six-year-old student at an elementary school in Newport News pulled out a gun and shot his teacher. The teacher who sustained life-threatening injuries is now listed in stable condition, according to a spokesperson at Riverside Medical Center. James Madison University confirmed that the teacher who was shot is alumna Abby Zwerner. A six-year-old boy is in custody. Police say the shooting was not accidental, and they are looking into how the student obtained a handgun. The elementary school where the shooting took place will be closed Monday and Tuesday. I'm Kenneth Burns. President Biden will visit the southern border tomorrow. White House National Security Spokesperson John Kirby said Biden is eager to talk to local officials and Border Patrol agents in El Paso. Buffalo Bill safety DeMar Hamlin is posting on social media for the first time since he suffered cardiac arrest during the first quarter of this past week's Monday night football game. Hamlin said on Instagram that the love he has received has been overwhelming and that he is thankful for everyone who prayed and reached out. Hamlin added that the incident will only make him stronger and that he is on a long road but to keep praying for him. The Mega Millions jackpot is now past the billion-dollar mark. Lottery officials say no one picked all six numbers in last night's drawing. That means Tuesday's jackpot in the multi-state lottery game will be worth $1.1 billion. This marks the fifth-largest lottery jackpot in U.S. history. This is USA News. So right now may be the perfect time for you to rethink how you pay for health care. And here's why. Not only is it open enrollment for a lot of people... It's also a time you can join MediShare and save even more than usual. And it's true, the typical family switching to MediShare saves 500 bucks or more a month, which is obviously huge for a lot of people, but what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to health insurance. Double. There are 400,000 members. They've shared over $4 billion in medical bills, and it really is a great community, too. People encourage and pray for each other. And here's the thing. If you join MediShare Complete right now, They'll waive your new member fees, and you'll save an additional 10% off all of 2023. That's right. No fee to join, 10% off every month of next year, but it's a very limited time offer. You have to sign up before January 15th. Great savings, great health care. Find out more. Call now. 833-34-BIBLE. That's 833-34-BIBLE. 833-34-BIBLE.
Welcome back to the show, everybody. Brand new year, opening night of the 2023 broadcasting year. (laughs) We've given you one haymaker after another. James Edwards and Keith Alexander. Chris Cantwell. Chris, we've been talking with you about, well, a lot, but especially the Charlottesville civil trial. And I I, I do want to move on to some other things that I think will be just riveting for the listeners. But the... I got to ask you this because of all that I've listened to, and I made mention of the fact that I did listen to it. I said the entire trial, I mean, literally without exaggeration, probably 90% of every minute I listened to on the phone. And there was one exchange that stood out of all of your pageantry uh, more than the rest. And correct me if I'm wrong about this, but the the name of the trial was Signs versus Kessler, and Elizabeth Signs was the Signs and Signs versus Kessler. And there was you one correct, video. That, <laughs> thank you. There was one video that Elizabeth Signs entered into evidence, and in it, I believe it was her. Uh, I believe it was she who asked Josh if you're listening, and you asked who's Josh, and the judge shot you down. What was going on there? So I genuinely, you know, an important fact to note here is that, uh, as Keith knows, lawyers don't usually ask questions that they don't know the answer to. But I'm not a lawyer. I didn't know who Josh was. I was like, oh, I must have hit a nerve. That's crazy to me. uh, Pardon the interruption, (laughs) my friend, but uh, that's crazy to me because I did know. uh, Because I, you know, I I had and it just shows your instincts. Because you had no foreknowledge. And and pardon the interruption, but I just wanted to accentuate that point. It shows your instincts that that were on display during that trial as you represented yourself with huge stakes on the line. Go ahead. Right. And so what I found out afterwards, I had seen this motion come across that apparently a couple of Judge Moon's clerks, the Judge Moon is the district court judge who was presiding over the case. uh, Apparently, a couple of his clerks were friends with the plaintiffs. And this guy, Josh. Yeah, a guy named Josh who's who's mentioned in the video uh, who they were talking about coming to his house works for the judge who was presiding over the case. And so my co-defendants. Keith, is that not – go go ahead and finish. I'm sorry. That's a violation of the code of judicial conduct. Hold on, hold on. I'll ask you that. Pardon the interruption, Chris. I'm animated here. I'm going to let you finish. When you're finished, I'll ask Keith the question. Go ahead. Well, I've been on radio. You guys – this is your show, you know, but – the the the, um, the the judge, these people worked for the judge, and my co-defendants had moved to um, to I, I think they moved to have them recuse themselves or something. And the judge uh, denied the motion as moot, saying, "Oh well, we already talked about this, we knew about it, and they've already recused themselves from the case." And we're like, "Okay, well, that's a fine thing for us to find out on social media and then bring it to your attention, and then you tell us about it." it sounds to me like there's a conflict of interest there. And, you know, I would say that I think that that's shown throughout the entire ordeal that, you know, these people who were, you know, obviously caught lying were really given the benefit of every doubt. And there were plenty of doubts for them to get the benefit of, you know, and uh, well, it sounds to know. me like a violation of the code of judicial conduct. So you had you had a, a clerk of the judge who was presiding over this case who I don't know if he was in league, but he was at least familiar with the main plaintiff in the case he was familiar enough with the plaintiff in the case that she was on a live stream video talking about i'm gonna bring this mob of armed criminals to your house and we're gonna hang out and have fun you know 
So, so uh, you know, should, 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 in your uh, legal opinion, Keith, should the judge have passed on taking that case? Yeah, the judge should never have been involved in this case if he had that type of uh, connection with it. The, the judge is calling Keith right now to tell him to shut up. But Keith never <laughs> turns his phone off like he should when we're on the air. But anyway, what would you think of Judge Moon's performance? I listened to the whole thing. He was an elderly guy. He had this uh, distinctively Virginian draw. What, what did you think of the way he conducted his court? You know, I, I think in the courtroom, it was, it was shall we say, better than it was on paper. I mean, it, it, but it, it almost seemed to me that he was trying to – give one to each side right i mean if there's a judgment call it was like it was like he wasn't tossing a coin he's like you get this one you get this one and and that you know had its ups and downs and that we didn't get shut down at every turn but like i said i mean he basically gave these people the benefit of every doubt and when you you know those of you who listen to the trial you know but like they were not deserving of those benefits these people were lying it was obvious i thought that was the biggest one that raised my eyebrow what we just mentioned, but he, you know, he did admonish the plaintiff's attorneys from time to time. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't yeah, totally I mean, in the in the tank. When they went searching for the jurors, yeah, he got pretty upset about that. Well, his uh, jury instructions <laughs> were awful, though. I mean, again, we're, we're talking inside baseball here. If people didn't listen to the trial, they'll never know. Uh, so I, I want to move on from this. But I thought that his jury instructions were particularly bad. I think they were, too. And, and they reflected in the verdict, right? I mean... You know, the idea that you can find us liable for that they we could be found liable for something that we weren't sued for. It's going to be the subject of an appeal in the Fourth Circuit. I mean, we we wouldn't be able to do it justice in the hour, but it's uh, I think that the instructions were wrong. I think the instructions were were confusing and vague. You know, at one point during deliberations, the jury came out and asked, are words a form of violence? And we're like, of course not. <laughs> right. But it, that explains to you why we were found liable on the on counts three and four, but not counts one and two. Counts one and two allege violence. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go counts ahead. one and two allege a violent conspiracy. Counts three and four are like wide open that you could find us liable for harassment and stuff like this. The jury found us liable for harassment because they felt the demonstration itself was harassment. But that's not how harassment works. You don't get to show up at a controversial demonstration and then sue for harassment because you're offended. That's not the way that works. Well, and so the when they said our words a form of violence, they're trying to they're trying to find a justification to find us liable on counts one and two for our words. And that's not how the law works. Well, Chris, this is Keith again. Let me just say this. I saw things up close and personal in the original civil rights movement. And I knew that we had a lot of naive people going in there that had no idea of the prep work that had been done in the civil rights movement. You had busloads of, um, uh, let me see, NAACP Legal Defense Fund and Lawyer Guild lawyers there with stacks of money to bail people out. Everything was, you know, there was nothing like that for our people. You bring up a very interesting point. Now, regular listeners of this program will know, Chris, you may not, but we have interviewed the actual police officer who booked Rosa Parks on the night of her arrest. He wrote a book called Another View of the Civil Rights Movement. He ended up. His name is Drew Lackey. He was uh, Drew Lackey, the Montgomery. Alabama police force. He became the chief of police in Montgomery. We've also interviewed George Wallace's son. So, you know, it's interesting that you bring this up. Could you imagine the protesters in that era being treated the way the Charlottesville 
No, the, participants the, the, were the treated, southern judges back then treated these people, the protesters, with uh, back in the civil rights movement with kid gloves compared to the way you guys were treated. Your thoughts on that, Chris? I think that's an interesting point. Well, yeah, I mean, it's look, we go out there, we're attacked. There's a video, there's ample video, there's tons of video, hours and hours and hours of video of these people attacking us with weapons. And then we're like, hey, these people attacked us, and they're like, you're going to jail, and we're bankrupting you. I mean, I, uh, I, I did not uh, get to witness the civil rights movement firsthand, but I've done some reading on the subject, and I know that, you know, even the Rosa Parks thing was sort of like this was a whole setup. I mean, it was planned, right? And it's so these people are—they 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 are masters of theater, and they basically—it was done by the masters of theater of all time, Hollywood, which we know who runs Hollywood, right? And so these people are putting on one heck of a show, let's say, and it's—and it's difficult. You know, the only person who stands a chance against them is a showman, frankly, right? You go in there, you're just like a, a guy who's trying to tell somebody what happened, and you don't stand a chance because they're telling stories, you know? And you've got to come up with, you know, you got to tell the truth, but you've got to tell your own story, you know? And so that's that's the thing that we're, we're up against is that these people are – they're putting on a show fundamentally, and if and if your show is not more compelling than theirs, then you're going to lose, well, back in the Civil Rights Movement, the people running the show were in cahoots with the protesters. All right, let me ask that's you. That's not what happened with you guys. Let me ask you this, uh, Chris, and we may not have time to get to the answer. we got one more segment with you, uh, and uh, there's some other things I want to talk about. But how have the last couple of years shaped your outlook on things, and, and what's the way forward? Well, you know, uh, going to jail a couple of times has made me want to be more cautious, let's say. You know, I didn't understand what I was getting into when I stumbled into this thing. You know, I mentioned, you know, I, I used to be involved with the libertarians and the libertarians could do whatever they want because nobody in the government thinks they're going to take over the state. Right. As soon as I got involved with the right, all these people came out of the woodwork trying to ruin my life and, and, and end it, frankly. That's and so I didn't I didn't understand what I was getting myself into. And I and I took some hard knocks, let's say. And so I'm uh, I'm certainly trying to be a little bit more cautious. Ladies and gentlemen, we are with Christopher Cantwell. What radio tonight? We're going to give you all of his contact information, but we got one more segment. I don't want to say it will be the most interesting of all, but it might be. We'll be back with him right after this. Stay tuned. Hello, TPC family. It's James, and I've got to tell you that I sleep better at night knowing that there are organizations like the Conservative Citizens Foundation. The purpose of the Conservative Citizens Foundation is to promote the principles of limited government, individual liberty, equality before the law, property rights, law and order, judicial restraint, and states' rights, while, at the same time, exploring the dangers posed by liberalism to our national interests and cultural institutions. The Conservative Citizens Foundation also seeks to educate the public on the dangers of extremist ideologies like critical race theory and cultural Marxism. I've worked with the good people at the Conservative Citizens Foundation for many years and their work comes with my complete endorsement. For more information and to keep up with all the latest conservative news headlines, please check out their website, MericaFirst.com That's M-E-R-I-C-A 1-S-T dot com MericaFirst.com 
In message one, we said that Satan, the father of lies, John 8.44, gave the left evil, spiritual power, the more they use the lies. The political left today is the beast. Now the Bible confirms that the dragon gave him, the beast, his power. Revelation 13.2 The extra evil spiritual power that comes from the beast by their lying is what accounts for the string of the leftist criminals in the government that have never yet been prosecuted. It also explains why American capitalists support communism in the 21st century. Note 1. That behavior of capitalists was predicted by Vladimir Lenin, a cell of the beast. Note 2. Henry Ford was a capitalist, and he would have never gone communist. The difference between Ford and the present day end-time capitalists is that Ford was born and educated in the Kingdom of Christ, 19th century America, the New Jerusalem, Revelation 21. One more fleeting segment with uh, the very informative and entertaining uh, Christopher Cantwell. Uh, Chris, if time runs out on this segment, I want to get to this first. How can people contact you? How can they support you? How can they find out more about you? Uh, ChristopherCantwell.net or RadicalAgenda.com. Cantwell, C-A-N is in November, T is in Tango, W-E-L-L. You go over there, .net. Uh, you can find out more about me. Get on my email list. Uh, find my social media. I'm not on, you know, Facebook, Twitter, and all that, but you can find me on uh, Truth Social, Telegram, that sort of thing. And I think we have one of those websites at least linked on our promotional blog uh, there at the top of thepoliticalcesspool.org tonight. So link over to that, uh, follow, support, and learn more about Chris Cantwell. So I, I, I got to ask you this. I mean, you mentioned it earlier. Uh, when you were, let's just put it, a guest of the state, you were in with what the system would at least describe as a veritable uh, rogues gallery, uh, including Victor Boot. Now, everybody should remember that name. It's only been a couple of weeks, right? Uh, that was the Russian who was at the center of international attention last month, uh, in the month of December, when he was traded in a prisoner exchange for Brittany Griner. Now, Chris, we're not going to ask you... Like swapping baseball cards. <laughs> uh, Russia got the better end of the deal. They <laughs> <But>, did. <laughs> hey, uh, we're not going to ask you to betray personal confidence or uh, details of privileged conversations, but what was that like? I mean, to be in the same unit, and you described a little bit earlier in the hour about what that unit was like and why you were in that particular unit. What was that like, being with a guy like that? You know, uh, Victor uh, is not what he's made out to be in the news. Victor's a very nice guy. He got along with everybody. He got along with the cops. He got along with the blacks. He got along with me. Uh, you know, I don't think anybody on that unit had a bad word to say about him. And so uh, he was he was a good guy to know. And at some point, they actually put him in the cell next to mine. And then uh, around the same time was when this conflict in Ukraine broke out. And so, you know, when I got arrested in January of 2020 on my show, I was uh, I was covering the first annual impeachment of Donald J. Trump. And I was like, what is going on in Ukraine? And I started to really like sour upon some of the, the dirty work that was going on in that country. And so uh, I had already been sympathetic to Russia's position. And then this conflict breaks out and, you know, me and him were glued to the news and talking about it and stuff. And so he was getting these Russian newspapers 
from the embassy sent to him. <clears throat> and so he would like translate from the Russian newspaper and tell me, you know, that side of uh, of the news, which was an interesting take, because, you know, if you guys own a television set, you're probably aware that we're getting a lot of nonsense propaganda that, you know, empty out the U.S. Treasury. That is you can't trust died. anything you're getting in the mainstream American media. I, I just got to say, I'm listening to this. I mean, Keith, how interesting is this to you that, I mean, so here's Victor Boot, Brittany Griner, the black lesbian WNBA player, traded for him last month. It made international news headlines. And here's here's our guest right now, Chris Cantwell, who got the opportunity to know him for 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 quite a while. I mean, I am as a as a talk radio well, host. Well, I, I know the background. I knew the background before. Yeah, but I mean, how interesting is it to, to 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 talk to somebody who knew this guy that made so much news last? Well, month? I'm glad to find out that he is what I suspected a, a regular well, person. We actually retweeted uh, on my Twitter an interview that he gave to Russia Today just a couple of days after his release, and you could tell he was a very he he came across at least as a very stand up guy, and I'm and sure a gentleman. Absolutely, and and Chris, I'm sure you can attest to that. What was it like? What was the reaction? Can you tell us anything about that when the word came down that hey, Victor, you're out of here? Well, I wasn't there when he got out. Like I said to Victor, you know, we were it was like there was talk of him getting traded out as soon as the girl got arrested, right? You know, okay. there was the. the you know, the, Russia had made the offer when they arrested Paul Whelan, the spy who's over there, who denies that he's a spy. But, you know, how many passports does a guy need? And so, you know, they had offered during the Trump administration to, to trade him then. And the Trump administration said, no, the deal was still on the table when Biden came into office. And and then they arrest the basketball girl. And so they were like talking about this prisoner exchange on the news, a, a potential swap for both of them. You know, and we were all like, hey, man, you know, that's your lesbian ticket home every time every time she was on the news, <laughs> you know, for lesbians. <laughs> and uh, and so I thought that he was going to get out before me. And I and and I and I said to him, like, Victor, they got to let you out before me so I could tell all my friends that they're more scared of me than they are of the merchant of death. You know, <laughs> and, and that was, this, you know, running joke that we had. And I got out before him and I was thinking that they weren't going to do it because. We figured if they were going to do it, they were going to do it before the election, right? He's got to pander it to the blacks, right? And so uh, when they didn't put him out before the election, I said, hey, man, maybe you get out in 2024 before the, you know, the presidential election. And then like two weeks after I get out, I wake up in the morning, I'm listening to the news, and I'm hearing that my buddy got out. I'm like, yes! I was like, I was in the halfway house at the time, <laughs> and I was like jumping up and down. I'm like, dude, it's my boy, you know? And uh, it was, well, you know, did, it was, did you see? Well, that's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. And I don't want to prove too 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 much further into that because I know there's some sensitive, you know, well, not sensitive. It's just you had some private conversations, and we're not going to ask you to share that with us. But uh, did you watch the Russia Today interview that he did? And what did you think about that? I did. I, I I thought it was I thought it was an interesting listen for sure. You know, he um, <clears throat> uh, he's absolutely right that you know, you look. You couldn't it, it, even if you hated Russia, you'd probably have to change your opinions about it when you're around Victor. Right. He's just he's such a good guy, you know. And so, you know, being sympathetic to that position already, you know, <clears throat> we got along. And so, I mean, uh, it was, uh, you know, seeing the interview was uh, was certainly uh, an interesting thing. Hearing that he joined the Liberal Democratic Party gave me a good laugh. Because I was like, liberal Democrat, that doesn't, uh, what is this? And then I realized, oh, this is like an anti-communist <laughs> thing, you know. 
And so, uh, you know, it was uh, it was it was good to see, it was good to see him home. You know, that's right. Let and, me say this, if I could, Chris. I, as a lawyer, have told my clients that I think that everybody ought to spend one night in jail just so they can find how how miserable it is and how much they don't want to do anything that would put them in there for a long time. Uh, of course, here in America, you don't have to do anything that'll put you in there. Well, that's it. <laughs> Basically, I told them. I said, if you want to go, there's a fail-safe way to do it. When you get stopped by the police, invoke your uh, Fifth Amendment right <laughs> not to speak, answer questions unless you have your attorney present. They will stuff you and cuff you every time. And this is... Uh, you don't you know, know anything about that, do you? No, but I'm, I'm telling you. Well, I know because I had clients in there, and I can tell you this. Uh, my heart goes out to you because I, even if that was a better-than-normal prison... It's still a miserable place to be. Well, and, I mean, who and, wouldn't and, rather be at home? That's for sure. But uh, Chris, let's let's ask you this: as, as t- well, we still got a, a little, a couple of extra minutes than than I thought. But uh, let me ask you this: well, give us give us a, a sixty second breakdown. You wrote an excellent article uh, very recently about the Russia Ukraine situation. Uh, now entering into yet another month here in this winter. Uh, what's going your take? on? A year. What's your take? Yeah, almost a year. So uh, I think the piece that you're talking about was titled Not Exactly Kremlin Talking Points. And and I think that uh, my suspicion is that this whole, you know, Russia collusion nonsense that the Democrats were peddling was one more example of the Democrats accusing you of almost exactly what they're doing. I think the Democrat Party has been involved with international espionage, and it's running a lot of it through the Ukraine is really what I think is happening. And um, for me to try to do it much more justice than that in 60 seconds would be difficult. But, I mean, you know, there was a guy who called himself Weave, was like this Jewish dude who was pretending to be a Nazi who inserted himself at the central nervous system of the alt-right movement. And he was over in Ukraine. And, you know, this parade of Ukrainians is testifying against Donald Trump at his impeachment. And this Lieutenant Colonel Vindman guy was offered to be the Secretary of Defense in Ukraine. I mean... You've got a lot of dirty stuff going on through there, and they're interfering in American politics. And I think that Vladimir Putin saw that as a legitimate threat to his security because you've got people trying to egg on a war with Russia and NATO. And so he's like, well, you know, here's where the here's the nest of spies. Let me go just snuff this thing out. And I think it's a reasonable thing for him to do. Well, we were talking about this last week. Uh, I mentioned Sam Dixon earlier talking about the color revolution of 2014. I mean, it's just, just we could do a whole hour just on on geopolitics. And it, it, well, well, the great comparison is the Cuban Missile Crisis. Basically, it was just that she was on the other foot this time. Who wants to have enemy nuclear missiles next door? To their nation. No, that's that's exactly right, Keith. And then this whole thing with Zelensky. I mean, what a sham, uh, in, in my opinion. And then all of the money that's gone over there. I, I'd love to see, you know, that's what we need an audit of. We need an audit of how that money's been allocated. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> we, and, like, and what like we actually know, know is that some of that money ended up with that Sam Bankman Freed guy in this FTX see? crypto collapse. <laughs> see, right? yeah, there you so go. I mean, well, uh, how crazy now, you, does something have to get go before we say absolutely not another billion? You know, well, <laughs> <laughs> the truth is stranger than fiction. Uh, not another billion. Well, we'll see what happens. Chris, now that you've uh, made your introduction to the audience, I'd love to have you back to talk uh, to talk politics, to talk issues and to talk current events. Uh, but this uh, this well, we'll see if any of the feedback gets cut off for. 
the odious Zelensky now that the GOP has the House, and with a slim majority that uh, favors people like Gates and Boebert, do you th- what is the political solution here in America? Is it local autonomy, secession? I mean, what, what's the answer? I mean, as we go into well, a new, we well, obviously, I have a tyrannical government. This new Congress. Uh, I'd say I'd say the existence of a political solution is a debatable subject, but to the extent that we are going to pursue one, uh, I think that you have to do it in Republican primaries, okay? Because we're certainly not going to start voting Democrat, all right? You know, we have we have a crazy, dangerous, transgender left-wing party called the Democrats, and we have a wholly inadequate right-wing party called the Republicans, all right? Fabulous. And so if you, if you want to do something about a bad Republican, you get somebody to challenge him in a primary. And when the general election comes around, you hold your nose, you vote Republican, and you, and you, and you deal with it in the primary system. To the extent that there's a political solution, that's what it is. Well, and that's what the game. Do we do we have elections that we can win now, or is the system rigged? Well, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that I to be a rhetorical that, question because time yeah. the, the music has started. But I, but I'll tell you this: yes, I mean that that is where the game is played right now. It's not like in in my ancestors' day when Robert E. Lee was calling up an army. Uh, so that's where the game is played right now. So we got to play that until the the the, the playing field is is something else. Uh, but that's where that's where the action is right now. And so we got to engage ourselves in that. And don't do anything that would you know advocate or. Advocate encourage violence chris uh 10 seconds contact information one more time please christophercantwell.net you'll find everything there all right christophercantwell.net find everything there we encourage you to do that chris a a fabulous debut appearance we hope we'll talk to you again soon and about looking forward to it coming on tonight hey thank you very much the big house yeah godspeed thanks for being with us we'll be back with a third and final hour next stay tuned everybody we have the new product at InfoWarsLife.com, BioTrue Selenium. We've had so many requests over the years for selenium, and just recently we were able to source a certified organic bioavailable selenium from mustard seed extract. When you take selenium in the body, it actually benefits the detoxification systems in your body. It helps balance the thyroid gland. It helps detoxify. Selenium is another one of those absolute must-haves. The highest concentration of selenium is in the thyroid gland, but it's actually used all over the body. As a matter of fact, there's 25 genes in the body that are directly dependent upon selenium. So it really is a all-around nutrient that everybody really needs. I'm taking it now every day. This is so key. BioTrue Selenium is the product, the best selenium that we could bring you. We believe it's the best out there at a very, very low price. Exclusively available at InfoWarsLife.com or by calling toll-free 888 You've made a serious investment in protecting yourself and your family. You've purchased the gun, the ammunition, the training, and even secured a license to carry in your state. You know the Constitution and don't believe you should have to pay for a right that you already have, as written in the Second Amendment, but you are law-abiding. Now you are considering the legal defense options you should have if you ever have to use a firearm. Self-Defense Fund is a comprehensive litigation membership backing you on appeals, legal expenses, court costs, and more up to $1 million per incident and unlimited attorney costs per member. Discover selfdefensefund.com for yourself. Any weapon, any state, any time. You're listening to the Political Cess Pool on ResolutionRDO.com. Call and listen now at 607-203-5423. That's 607-203-5423. 
Katie Armor raised the standard. Finally, AR500 steel core body armor that comfortably conforms to the chest and torso. Unique design distributes weight, feeling lighter, increases mobility, and lessens fatigue. Introducing the Combat Quad Bend CQB, a revolutionary plate-forming process that caters to the end user. The CQB is an industry game-changer, a must-have for the ladies. Available now, only at katiearmor.com, catiarmor.com. Come and take it. You're listening to Resolution Radio. Radio. ResolutionRDO.com. You're listening to the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is the Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool, known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program. And here to guide you through the murky waters of the Political Cesspool is your host, James Edwards. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Are you having a good time on this, our first show of the new year? Keith Alexander, are you having a good time tonight? I said that we need to call this the Jailhouse Rock uh, episode. (laughs) (laughs) We have Jason, and then we have um, Christopher Cantwell. Well, Jason was involved with the civil draw, so I guess that's a little bit different. But, uh, hey, listen, nobody skates free in this country anymore. Well, like Yogi said, it ain't over till it's over. Let's hope he (laughs) never does. Well, let's hope we never do. I was having dinner. I had dinner with Sam Dixon in about, uh, well, I've had dinner with Sam a lot of times. Uh, but I remember one time in particular, it was actually a lunch. Now, that is that now that is dinner for us in the South. That's right. Anyway, we have supper at night. But anyway, but now I asked Sam, I said, what's stopping anybody from just kicking down the door one of these corrupt agencies and kicking down the door and just hauling us off on trumped-up charges? And I'll never forget what Sam said. He looked at me, he said, very little. And that was in the mid-2000s. So, yeah, I, I got you. But, hey. First show of the year, Barn Burner broadcast, and uh, bringing back now our good friend Harry Cooper, the president of Shark Hunters. He's back. Any excuse to have Harry on for an hour to regale us with more stories about his personal interactions with the veterans of World War II certainly works for me. Uh, but for night, uh, tonight, we're certainly doing I think doing so it. many people are curious about this issue, and uh, Harry's done such a good job in getting – the real players to step forward and tell their stories. Well, let's say hello to Harry. Harry, how are you doing tonight? And welcome back and happy new year. First show of the year. Great to have you on it. I'm happy to be here and happy new year to you and all your listeners. You got it. So, uh, Harry has, this is Harry's fourth appearance on the program since September. And he made such an impact on the audience. And the first couple of appearances, I thought that, you know what, we need to, uh, have some of Harry's, merchandise as our Christmas fundraising incentive. And I thought that it would go over well, but I didn't know it would go over as well as it did. I called Harry about a week ago and I said, Harry, I've been on the air 18 years. This was the single most uh, successful fundraising drive we've ever done. And we got to have everybody you- loves Harry. I'm just <laughs> wild about Harry, right? <laughs> I said, we got to have you back on to talk about it. Harry, in your opinion, and we're going to, dive into this uh, pun intended with the <laughs> with the u-boats and all but 
Why do you think that uh, people in the current year uh, related and responded to this offer to the extent that they did? Well, there's there's any number of uh, uh, guesses, speculations, etc. My feeling, of course, I'm a bit older than the, the middle group. My thought is that people realize the German military guys were not the murderous bastards that we were taught. They were not, you know, murdering people for sport and everything. They were honorable, decent fighting men. They lost because they were overwhelmed. They couldn't shoot down airplanes or sink ships fast enough. Uh, our production was overwhelming, and they couldn't kill the Russians fast enough because the Russians had millions more to send. So they fought hard. They fought honorably, and they were overwhelmed. And I think the average person, at least most of the people I know, Americans, um, don't like <sighs> – can I say bullshit on your show? Yeah, they don't like do. the lies that we've been fed. Germans are all murderers. They they, they make lampshades out of uh, Jewish so, skin, and it, it, it's all lies. It's you know. So I was, we're coming on next month is our fortieth year, and I don't I don't get a salary. I don't make any money, as I told you privately. I've already put 300,000 of my own dollars into shark hunters over the last 40 years, and I don't regret one damn dime of it. I have met so many incredible, wonderful people on, on all sides. But, for instance, Otto Kretschmer, the top submarine commander of the war, he com considered me part of his family. I had a sleeping room in their house. Um, Hardigan, who sank the first ship in American waters, I've been to his house umpty zillion times. Hess, the youngest commander of the war, was my best friend in Germany. Um, Admiral Flucky, the most highly decorated American submariner ever in history, sat on my sofa here, and you know, just in, I've met hundreds, and they're all decent. Let, let, me, let me say people. one thing to you, Harry. Uh, have you ever heard of the Barnes Review? Now he's a, he's a, he, yeah. <laughs> you need you need to read not, all that stuff. Hey, I'm not sure only have, has he heard of it, he's, he's one of the on it. Well, he's one of the contributing editors. That's, <laughs> what, that's where it comes I from. I see his yeah. name Willis in every Carto, issue. Willis Carto was a friend of mine from the time he joined Shark Hunters in <laughs> 1989. Well, hey. We lived in Tampa at the time, uh, and no, he joined in '88, and he owned a radio station in St. Pete, right across the river. Bay, whatever. And every time he'd come down, we'd get together for dinner at a Cuban restaurant right near my place. And for the last 30 something years, we've lived up here in uh, central Florida. And he used to come down and visit friends in Jacksonville on the other coast. And there's no part of Florida that's wider than 100 miles. And so we'd zip over and meet in St. Augustine, and we'd have beer and burgers up on the outside second-floor balcony of the A1A Ale House. Willis was a dear friend. He was a good friend. He told me I should list him on our in our magazine as W.A. Carto because otherwise I might get some kickback. And I told him, no, not, not afraid of anybody. Well, <laughs> then 
and install your ration magazine. I remember, right? That, well, that, yeah, that was a different one. But you know, it's interesting you mentioned Willis because I knew Willis. Willis, I, I, I will brag this. He actually sent me a wedding gift back in 2006 when we got married. But and I knew Willis, and I loved Willis. And you and I met at a conference that Willis was speaking at for the very first time in uh, the spring of Washington, 2004. DC. Yeah, well, no, Washington, this one was D. actually in New Orleans. This one was actually in New Orleans in the spring of that was a David well, Duke. That was a David yeah. Duke event. You're damn right. <laughs> right. And Willis was there, so we were all there together. It was just amazing right. how many people I met at that meeting. Anyway, we're getting off track here a little bit, but that's fine. That's, that, it's that, your that's track. Fine. You drive the train. <laughs> I want to tell you, you know, it's amazing. Don't jump the tracks. Even after all, or, or the shark. You know, you don't want to jump the shark in media. Oh, jeez, no. But it's interesting, Harry, after 18 years, this will be 19, and we're very proud of that. How many emails and letters we get every month? I just found out about your show. So let's just say somebody's tuning in who didn't hear the last couple of appearances you've been on with us for the past few months. I want to tell you the mission of SharkHunters.com. That, that is the organization that Harry founded and serves as president for now 40 years strong. Three points. Of shark hunters to tell the honest, true, and accurate history of the U boat Wafa and the men who served honorably without propaganda, theories, guesses, fairy tales, or half baked commentaries. Number two, to restore the dignity and pride to those brave, honorable warriors. And number three, to bring former enemies together as friends. That book, so many of you received uh, in the past few weeks, which many of more of you will receive in the days to come. We're still working to get them all out was written by both German and American veterans of the war at sea. We're going to talk to Harry more about that next. Stay tuned, everybody. Sharkhunters.com. Hello, TPC family. It's James, and I've got to tell you that I sleep better at night knowing that there are organizations like the Conservative Citizens Foundation. The purpose of the Conservative Citizens Foundation is to promote the principles of limited government, individual liberty, equality before the law, property rights, law and order, judicial restraint, and states' rights, while at the same time exploring the dangers posed by liberalism to our national interests and cultural institutions. The Conservative Citizens Foundation also seeks to educate the public on the dangers of extremist ideologies like critical race theory and cultural Marxism. I've worked with the good people at the Conservative Citizens Foundation for many years, and their work comes with my complete endorsement. For more information and to keep up with all the latest conservative news headlines, please check out their website, MericaFirst.com. That's M-E-R-I-C-A-1-S-T.com, MericaFirst.com. Why does the left lie constantly? Because they get spiritual power from lying. The lies come from Satan, the father of lies. John 8, 44. Here's how the political lying process works. Satan provides the beast with a lie. Then the more they use the lie, the more spiritual power they get. Look, the media is a lie multiplier, and this multiplication gives more evil spiritual power to the beast, and that can overwhelm and even deceive the body of Christ, especially when the body is being disobedient to the head. The churches today are incorporated, so they're subordinate to human government. They obey the beast and do nothing to restore our national relationship with God. And the government shall be on his shoulders, Isaiah 9, 6. That verse is not for the present-day church. Rather, it is for the end-time church, the body of the Lion of Judah, a message from Christ Kingdom Ministries. 
Always so great to welcome back to the program my longtime friend, Harry Cooper. How long time, you ask? Well, I met Harry Cooper before my very first show, on my very first day on the air. That's a long time, considering this is our 19th year on the air. I've known Harry longer than the show itself. And, you know, Harry, we were talking about the fact that this Christmas gift incentive offer that uh, we put out there for people who would contribute to the show during the month of December, our Christmas fundraising drive, which ended a few days ago, they would get the book, U-Boat, Stories from the Men of the U-Boat Waffa, but also a signed photo of one of the German veterans of World War II. And on the back of it, the short uh, bio of uh, the veteran whose authentic signature you're receiving. And the audience went wild for it. Again, top fundraising incentive in, in the history of the program. But what I was even more interested in, uh, I was very interested in that, believe me. But how many members of the United States Armed Forces contributed to this fundraising drive? And not just the various branches. I knew we had a lot of vets in the TPC audience. How many submariners, how many Navy guys who were in subs who contacted me saying, I've got to have this. And I got a couple. I, I shared some of the correspondence that Harry received. I emailed it to him a couple of weeks ago when it started to pour in. Harry, that was just, again, the tip of the iceberg. I know you've read some of it, but here's, I'm going to extra leave out some of the details, but but here's, yeah, here's, here's, a, here's a taste. Hello, James and Keith. It's been a while since I contributed, but here's a money order. That U-boat book sure sounds great. I used to be on a sub in the United States Navy, and he goes on to talk about his career and which ship, and then he uh, concludes the... Um, the handwritten letter by writing, I listen to you guys every week. It's hard to keep up on the news cycle when you work in construction 40-plus hours a week. So thank you for keeping me informed. And uh, that he uh, lives up in the Pacific Northwest. Here's another one. Dear James and Keith, have a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. I'm a U.S. submarine vet for 23 years. This is not the country I grew up in. Actually, That's quite ashamed sure. of what it's become. Yeah, amen. The latest election shows how ignorant many Americans are. By believing in the Democrats, I have been saying for many years that America is uh, irredeemable, and so on and so forth, and he continues on with that. But this, this is just two of many that I received from the listening audience who served on submarines in the United yeah. States Navy. So, again, i got to ask you, Harry, why are people who served on subs in the U.S. Navy wanting to send money in to get a book written by German vets of World War II? Easy. If you if you ever talk to any of the submariners, incidentally, we had submariners. Submariners were the Brits. Uh, <laughs> <it's all laughs> yeah, but they all have one common denominator. Their enemy was the sea. They all ride the boats. They all go through the same uh, daily life. When now I was in the Air Force. Um, I'd, I'd get done loading hydrogen bombs onto heavy bombers in the daytime. I'd go back to the barracks, clean up, go to town, uh, do what we did in town. The, the submarine guys don't. They stay together. Now, now, our boomers, for instance, they go out for three months at a time. Three months, they never see the sun, uh, and the, the Germans were the same. They didn't go out quite as long as patrols. Our fleet boats in the war, they'd go out for months at a couple of months at a time. They'd 
they never, most of them never see the sun. Now our boomers, they never surface. Once they go under, they stay down. They never see the sun. They're with the same team. That's what it is. It's a team. Uh, everybody has to do their job or or they're going to lose the boat. So it's it's a camaraderie like I've never seen in any other branch of any other service. Guys who rode the boats uh, have have a tighter bond. So just because an American is reading about a German, it's the same thing. They, they're a close-knit band of brothers, like Nelson once said about uh, his guys, and Erich Topp, my, my good friend Erich Topp, uh, who passed away a couple of years ago, the third most successful submariner in World War II, he said the same thing. He would preach to his men that they were a band of brothers. So that's they had a common denominator. Us guys in the Air Force, guys in other Air Forces, we had a lot in common too. But the submarine guys, they're locked up together for weeks at a time, months at a time, and, and so they, it's a whole different world for those guys. Very you know, hostile world too, you know that. Uh, yeah, you what, could. If somebody you, makes a mistake, you all go down. Yeah, you couldn't bank right, bank left, as a, a Luftwaffe pilot might do. You couldn't uh-huh. uh, get in a foxhole as a <laughs> Wormach soldier might do. You couldn't run. That, that you were just there. Yeah, that brings <laughs> something to mind. In another one of our books in the U-boat series, we've got eighteen volumes already in the U-boat. You've got volume one that you're making available to your people, but in one of them, I can't remember which. Uh, Otto Giza was one of our members. He was first watch officer, which is the same as an executive officer. He was on a U-boat in uh, against the Murmansk convoys, and this was PQ nine, PQ seventeen, the the one convoy that got so decimated from the U.S. over to Murmansk, Russia. They were attacked by submarines and by. Uh, uh, U-boats, I mean, and by, by the Luftwaffe, and ships were getting blown out of the water all over the place. And Otto said they were running on the surface late at night, and they found a floating wreckage of an airplane, and it was a Luftwaffe plane, and they picked up the three uh, survivors from the plane, and they, they had to dive because destroyers were coming. And after it was all over and they were headed back to uh, base, uh, Otto asked one of the flyboys, wouldn't you like to transfer over and be in the U-boats? And the pilot says, listen, if I get shot, uh, if my airplane gets shot up, I can jump out with my parachute and come down and get another airplane. He said, if you guys get sunk or get hit while you're running submerged, you'd die like a rat in a trap. And that's what it is. Submarines, we're, we're talking World War II, wartime submarines. If they got hit there was such a small, tiny chance of anybody surviving. Although some of them did. You know, I read that in your book. I I, I thought 100% casualty rate if you got hit. But some of these these people got out, and they would go on and get on another boat. If they got hit on the surface, they had a prayer. If if a submarine is running underwater, uh, like three, four hundred feet down, it was 400 feet down was nothing to a German U-boat. It was way deep for a, for an American or a Brit, but the Germans built their boats differently. If you're running 400 feet down and a depth charge blows a hole in your boat, you don't drown. You die instantly because you've got one atmospheric pressure inside the boat until the thing blows open, 
and at three or 400 feet down, you got hundreds of atmospheres of pressure, and you just get, bap, you're dead in the blink of an eye. Or, or if they're on the surface, and it always, I've seen pictures of it, and it's always a sad situation. If they're running on the surface and they get hold, it's usually forward or, or aft, rarely in the middle unless they're torpedoed. That end will fill with water and sink, and the boat stands on its nose or on its stern. Then They said it looked like Cleopatra's needle. Now all of a sudden you're in this submarine, and all of a sudden what used to be the deck, the floor, that's now a bulkhead, a wall, and you're standing on a bulkhead, which is now the floor. The lights are out. Things are flying around. The bilge water is flying around you're in the dark and you know ball game's over and it goes down until it reaches crush depth and jesus christ oh man that is i mean that that's the thing how dare anyone in the media any of these cowards who have i haven't served so i can't say uh, put me in that camp but how could anybody cast judgment on these men how could anybody say these men aren't heroes just because they weren't on quote-unquote our side yeah right right these these guys (laughs) <laughs> it uh, reminds me of a saying when I was driving race cars. These guys had size 10 AAA balls. Um, <laughs> but, no, they they never thought it was going to be their boat. At the, at the end of the war, after, well, after Black May of 1943, when they lost almost as many boats that month as the U.S. Navy did in the whole war, they lost 44 boats by combat that month alone. And the U.S. Navy lost 52 boats, but only, I think, 48 of them by combat in the whole war. So they, after that, one boat out of ten came back from its first patrol. The other nine went out on their first patrol and didn't come back. And see, you know what, Harry? I mean, that that is the textbook definition of what a hero is as far as I'm concerned. And if all of the German veterans, because they lost, I guess they were the bad guys. I mean, that's, you know, that's the Norm MacDonald joke, the comedian from Saturday Night Live. I went through my history book, and the good guys won every war from the beginning of time until now. Yeah. You, you more than anybody, certainly in America, but perhaps the world, gave these warriors their well-earned and deserved honor back. We'll talk to you more about it right after this. Protecting your liberties. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News. I'm Jerry Barmash. President Biden will visit the southern border Sunday. White House National Security Spokesman John Kirby said Biden is eager to talk to local officials and Border Patrol agents during his visit to El Paso. Kirby defended Biden's recent crackdown on illegal border crossings, saying the president is trying to strike a balance between opening legal paths to migration while curbing illegal activity. Biden spoke to newly elected Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy on Saturday, Biden also saying in a statement that he is prepared to work with Republicans and said voters made clear they expect Republicans to be prepared to work with him as well. Buffalo Bill Safety DeMar Hamlin is posting on social media for the first time since he suffered cardiac arrest, making a routine tackle during the first quarter of Monday Night Football earlier in the week. Hamlin said on Instagram that the love he has received has been overwhelming and that he is thankful for everyone who prayed and reached out. A Virginia teacher is showing improvement after being shot in the chest by a six-year-old student on Friday. Newport News School Superintendent Dr. George Parker says the community is hurting. Today our students got a lesson in gun violence. 
and what guns can do to uh, disrupt not only an educational environment, but also a family, a community. Students were eventually released to their families after an hour-long lockdown. Prince Harry's new autobiography is receiving criticism even before its release. The British royal family has gone silent after excerpts from Prince Harry's book have leaked. The memoir, written by the estranged prince, alleges that Prince William got into a physical altercation with Harry about his relationship with actress Meghan Markle. Harry also said his father, King Charles, begged his sons to not make my final years a misery about their father marrying Queen Consort Camilla. The book, titled Spare, hits stores Tuesday. I'm Corey Myers. This is USA News. Paid for by government.com. Did you hear? A recent stash of $10 Gold Liberty coins from the 1800s has been found. These gorgeous gold coins are as bright and shiny as the day they were struck in the late 1800s. And less than 50 of these gold coins are available. Coin experts are calling this gold find an incredible opportunity. Call 1-888-201-7060. And you are guaranteed a $10 Gold Liberty coin minted by the U.S. Mint in the 1800s. But with extremely limited availability, you must call now. These Gold Liberty coins from the 1800s are still in uncirculated condition. That is history you can hold in your hand. To learn more, call 1-888-201-7060. Call now and you'll receive a free American Coin Collector's Bonus Package, a $40 value, free with every order. Call 1-888-201-7060 now to secure your $10 Gold Liberty coins dated from the 1800s before they sell out. That's 1-888-201-7060. So again, ladies and gentlemen, you contributed during December. You received a book and you received a signed photo, hand-signed by one of the German veterans of World War II. Now, we're going to talk more about that in a moment. But the book, the book, U-Boat, Stories from the Men of the U-Boat Waffe, was written mostly by the German veterans, but there were some American counterparts who contributed as well. And that was another thing that I learned. I mean, and you talk about this, Harry. Your organization, Shark Hunters, SharkHunters.com, exists to bring former enemies together as friends. But even while they were on the battlefield, at times, they would help one another. One exception, the Japs, I guess you could say. But uh, what do you know about that? The early part of the war, uh, before it was death for a U-boat to stay on the surface very long, uh, they would sink ships. And they would cruise among the lifeboats, not to machine gun them, as the propaganda said. That absolutely never happened, not once, never. We've proven that. But they'd cruise among the lifeboats and find the captain of the sunken ship and ask if any of the people needed medical help. There were even some instances where somebody was injured pretty badly. They took him aboard the submarine and treated him and put him back in the lifeboat. And I've never heard were, that. I've never heard that anywhere outside of you, Harry. Well, of course not, because it doesn't fit the narrative. Germans were all evil people, and uh, und, und, und. But um, there was one instance. I think I told you once upon a time. Uh, one of our members, Peter Chalamados, Captain Peter Chalamados, was skipper of a merchant ship that got sunk in the North Atlantic. Fortunately, everybody got off into the lifeboats, and the U-boat came up alongside and asked them if anybody needed medical help. No, they didn't. And so 
uh, he gave Captain Chalamitos um, a compass and told him which direction to steer for the easiest way to get to land. And then he said, I'd like to give you guys some fresh water, but our desalinator is broken, so can you take a few cases of beer instead? And that's the way it was. <laughs> and some of these guys, now, uh, oh, what the heck was it? Captain Paul Just, pronounced Just. He sank the destroyer escort uh uh, Davis, I can't remember the first part of it, but the Davis. And then several other destroyer escorts sank his boat immediately. He went to POW camp, et cetera, et cetera. Way after the war, Captain Just from the German Navy contacted the radio, op- no, the radar operator from the Frederick C. Davis ship that he sank, and they became best buddies, and the the um, uh, radar operator from the Davis had large piece of property out in California, so Captain Just put a travel trailer on this guy's property and would come out and spend winters in California, yesterday's enemies. And as I told you, I think during one of our private conversations, something I did, which I'm really proud of, Nobody else could have pulled it off. At our convention in two, the year 2000 in Daytona Beach, Captain, uh, well, Rear Admiral retired, Erich Top, third most successful skipper of the war, German U-boat skipper, won the Knight's Cross with oak leaf and swords. Only five guys in the German Navy got that. And I had another guy. Rear Admiral Lev Davidovich Chernyevin, who was the last commander of the submarine force in the Soviet Navy. They shook hands at my convention. They became friends. See, that's it. Yesterday's enemies are today's friends. This is yep. SharkHunters.com. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, a terrible thing to think about. I mean, here we are now, the first week, first show in the year of our Lord, 2023. If you fought... In World War II, you're pushing 100 if you're a day, and that's if you're young. Most of them far older than that. Most of them long since gone. Yeah. Uh, but for those who are left and for those who have already been called home, you gave these warriors their well-deserved, and I mentioned this in the in the last segment, their honor back. Talk yeah. about, and you mentioned this before in previous appearances, Harry, though, but uh, talk about the differences between showing a pride in uh, your sacrifice for your country between the American side and the German side, you're, you're, you're a vet here in America. What's it like compared right. to what they had to suffer? Yeah, I'm a vet, not a combat vet, thank God. I was ready to go kill Russians, but thank God they were, they were going to kill me if we had war. Uh, but no, the, here I belong to the American Legion, local. We've got VFW halls or posts. We've got Legion posts. And out in front they got a Huey helicopter or they got a three-inch gun or what, whatever. And they fly the American flag, and they fly the MIA flag. Not in Germany. They could meet quietly, in private, no signs out front, no, no uh, Huey helicopters, nothing. Uh, in Hamburg, Germany, they had to meet in a rented house that was owned by a Knight's Cross winning skipper. No flags, no signs. In Klagenfurt, Austria, they had to meet 
in a former coal bin. And for you younger people, coal is a black rock that you throw in a furnace and it burns. <laughs> but they had, uh, years ago, when my first son, God rest him, I told him if you were naughty, Santa was going to bring you coal. And he said, what's coal, Daddy? So I had to tell him. <clears throat> but a coal bin is a huge, big room where they would dump coal that they could shovel into the furnace to heat this big office building. It was cleaned up, turned into a nice meeting establishment. But aside from a tiny little strip on the doorbell outside that says it's the Ubud's Kamaradshaft. No, it's the Marina Kamaradshaft, the Navy uh, group. That's it. They can't they can't wear their uniforms. That's a crime if you wear a World War II uniform. Um, and, and they can't show that they were in. They had to meet quietly. And I know absolutely that I helped these guys throw off that, that cloak of, uh, oh, woe is me kind of stuff. And they held their heads up and they met, they met their counterparts from other services and uh, I told you during one of our talks, our first convention, Key Largo, Florida, 1987. I was living in Chicago at the time, and I wanted to get out of the snow. So we met down there, and I drank a lot at the time. Uh, incidentally, that was the last time I ever got drunk. It was February of 1987. And I was sitting at the bar drinking pina coladas. On my right was uh, Oberleutnant Cersei de Reserve. Hans Georg Hess, the youngest, com- he was twenty. He was four months past his twenty-first birthday, and he gave him a combat submarine. Told him go on out and die. Um, and on my left <laughs> was a guy named Ray Lankheim, who was a gunner on an American destroyer. And the two were talking back and forth across my face. So, what was your area? Well, that was my area. When were you there? Well, that was when I was there. And and Captain Hess said, the number on your destroyer was such and such. And Ray Lankheim says, how'd you know that? And Captain Hess said, on such and such a day, I fired two torpedoes at you, but somebody must have seen me because your ship turned and I missed you. And Ray Lankheim named the the lookout. And then he says, well, Captain, you missed. What do you think about that? And Captain Hess slammed his big fist down on the bar. He says, well, I'm glad we missed. We have more time for beer now. And the two of them got to be best buddies. So... You know, there, there's so many stories like this. They're, they're, they put their pants on one leg at a time. I was in the Soviet Union, which I just finally found out why. I was invited over by the chief of intelligence for the Soviet Navy. I didn't know he was, but he was directed by the commander-in-chief of the Soviet Navy to invite me. He was ordered by Mikhail Gorbachev to invite me, and until recently, I didn't know why, and I found out from one of our spooks, one of our agents, that Ronald Reagan was a member of Shark Hunters until his death. He and Mikhail Gorbachev got to be buddies, and so that's how I got invited over. So I was making, a, I was making an, an appearance in front of about 20 admirals, they were on a round table. The Russians love round tables. They were all seated, and I was standing with uh, Anatoly, who was my interpreter. He was also the chief of intelligence. And each admiral, in his turn, asked me a question about submarine history, which I answered. But all the time, this 
rear admiral across the table from me. He was staring at me with icy blue eyes, and it came time for him to ask. His question was, why are you here? And I pointed right at him. I said, I'm here because I was told you're my enemy. He got all stiff in his chair. I said, but you were told that I was the enemy. And he grumpingly agreed. I said, but I don't see an enemy. I see a man like myself who wants his kids to grow up in a peaceful world and, and live a decent life. And you said that in one of your previous appearances as the what, music okay. begins to play. Yeah, I mean, yeah, what a what a what a storyteller and what stories to tell. But Harry, you said that you said you know, hey, propaganda doesn't work if you tell the truth. These guys have wives and children they want to return home to. They go to the same church as you do. They're fighting for the country same as you. But go kill them anyway. Wars don't work like that. We'll be right back. Antelope Hill Publishing is America's leading publisher of dissident books bringing you a wide variety of new translations and original works on every subject from the Spanish Civil War to the funding behind the transgender movement. Antelope Hill publishes books that mainstream publishers won't touch, full of information that challenges the political status quo and brings real culture to the reading public at an affordable price. If you count yourself as a political dissident, you owe it to yourself to check out the Antelope Hill catalog with exclusive offerings like Solzhenitsyn and the Right, the Open Society Playbook, Opioids for the Masses, and many more. There's something there for everyone, and new titles are added every month. Check out the catalog today at antelopehillpublishing.com. That's antelopehillpublishing.com. I'm James Edwards, and I want you to go to antelopehillpublishing.com. This is a battle, a battle between truth and deceit. A battle between forces that would enslave this country in darkness and between a media that wants to present you with the truth. We are being censored. America's news outlets no longer provide the truth. 90% of news outlets in the United States are controlled by six corporations. The mission of the Epic Times is to chase the truth, to ground all statements in fact. TheEpicTimes.com. Have you ever had great honey? No, I mean really good, all-natural, raw honey? Well, now you can, thanks to LocalHoneyMan.com. We can ship out our locally made honey all across the U.S. So don't worry, you won't miss out. Plus, Local Honey Man has so many different flavors, like Utah Wildflower, High Desert Delight, Happy Valley, and Blackberry, just to name a few. So purchase your delicious raw honey today at LocalHoneyMan.com. One more segment. Where has it all gone this first night of broadcasting in the year 2023? After last week's New Year's Eve show and tonight, I don't. We'd be hard pressed to end a year and begin a year in better fashion, and uh, to do it with Harry Cooper, who was the founder of the uh, feast, so to speak, for our uh, fourth quarter fundraising drive of 2022. You loved it. I loved it. We loved presenting it. Uh, folks, you know me. I'm 42 years old. I've been married since 2006. I've got three kids. I've got a 12-year-old daughter, an 8-year-old son, a 2-year-old daughter. I've got all the bills that go along with it. I've got a mortgage. I've got a car note. I've got cell phones. I've got health insurance, life insurance, utility bills. You name it. i got it all and then some. But you know the first 
debit that comes out of my account every month. It's $10, and it's to sharkhunters.com. That is not hyperbole. Very first thing every month, sharkhunters.com. And I know some listeners have joined Shark Hunters as a result of Harry's appearance appearances in recent months. I want more of you to do that. $10 a month. What do they get for that, Harry? Give them 60 seconds uh, because i got something i got to get uh, with uh, you on. But sharkhunters.com is where you can join. $10 a month. What do they get for their money? $10 a month gets you everything we have. It gets you the magazine every month. They also can go back in history and look at all our back issues. And we've got hundreds of videos and movies from the war years. You can look at them anytime, as often as you want. We've got hundreds of hours of music from the war years. Listen to them anytime you want. All for 10 bucks a month. Sharkhunters.com with the debit card. I did it in just uh, a minute or two. You can too, and we want you to do that because we know how much you like Harry's stuff. Obviously, you showed us that. And uh, helped support us along the way as well. People are still receiving out, this stuff. Let, let me add something. Let yeah, me throw ahead. this in because if people go to sharkhunters.com, they're going to bring up our, our old friends, the Southern Poverty Law Center, otherwise mm. known as the Spitlickers. <laughs> they have posted that I'm a Nazi, which is an absolute lie. They posted that our organization, Shark Hunters, is a hate group. Ronald Reagan was a member. The four Medal of Honor winning American submarine commanders were members and, and governors. I, and, who wrote the back cover? Who wrote the back cover of the first edition of U-Boat? Oh, not fair. You're asking me a question. I can't. Well, I don't have it in front of me. Well, it, it was the former uh, head of the United States Navy in the early 90s. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. Frank Kelso. There you go. He was a member also. So he's a Nazi, too, though, even though he was the head of the United Apparently States Navy. So, yeah. I have to. Uh, and the person who attacked me was uh, their main hit dog, Dr. Heidi Bleirich, who is, <laughs> yeah, he, she goes by the nickname of Fat Heidi because she's a 550-pound lesbian. She's got more and she has chins a German a name, Chinese, too. How ironic. Yeah. She's got more chins than a Chinese phone book. That's oh, right. Come on now, Harry. <laughs> every time they publish, and they've quit publishing bad stuff about us, because every time they publish a hit piece, we get about 20 more members, and I make sure they go. know that. So they're just liars. But anyhow, you send everybody them a Christmas else. Card. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, everybody else who is interested in honest history, boy, we've got thousands of members in 30. No, 77 countries, some of which don't even exist anymore. They're still there, but they just changed the name. East Germany, West Germany, Soviet Union, those have all changed names. But So, you know, as I told you, nobody gets paid here. I don't get a salary. Way back before Obama came on the scene, I paid myself $250 a week. I had been vice president of a very large company making a whole lot more than 250 bucks a week. And I walked off that job with no pension to do shark hunters full-time 40 years ago. Well, and 40 years, and we're going to talk to you more. You're going to be a, continue to be a regular guest, so we'll have you back on soon. We'll talk about what the 40th year will entail, what's coming up for shark hunters in year 40. But as we wrap up this sort of uh, – We're going back you know, to Germany. You. Anybody who wants to go with us, we're going on patrol in October. All right, we will have you back on in uh, a, a few weeks to 
give us all the details about that, and I can't wait to learn more and how people can sign up for that particular patrol. Now, uh, I, I, I've got to say this, though. This is sort of like uh, the thank you for providing us with these materials that so many people have uh, really enjoyed. In addition to the book that we've been talking about, we mentioned you get these signed photos of right. German veterans, hand-signed. And it's, it's not just one. Everybody gets the same guy. Harry sent me an assortment. Now, we did run out, and we had to get more. So some people, if, you, if your order has not been fulfilled yet, we ran out of inventory. Harry sent us inventory. Then we ran out of uh, hard cardboard mailers for the photos. We had to order more from <laughs> – I don't want to even mention it. We had to order more from Amazon. But anyway, so we're still, we're still filling orders. You're, everybody that, that contributed at the appropriate level is going to get it. Don't worry. We, we, we're not going to leave you behind. But you might not get the same vet, okay? So it was right. an assortment of, of photos. And Harry explained in the last interview back in December how he came to acquire all of these signed photos. But I'm just going to – I got a collection here right now. And I'm going to butcher some of the names. But you may have received <laughs> one of these signed photos. Here's Gerhard Dietrich, who was uh, – he fought in Manstein's army on he the Eastern Front. He was such a fine, front. fine man. I was in his home I don't know how many times. Oh, my God. See, I mean, that is un – to history buffs, that's an unfair and cheat code. was supposedly the best uh, yeah. field commander in that's the right. German army. That Eastern Front, man, you wouldn't have wanted to be on that one. You wouldn't have wanted right. to be anywhere but uh, that one. So Harry knew all of these guys. That's how he got to sign photos. He knew all of these guys. Here's Wolf Ackerman. Now, he served as the first watchkeeping officer on U. Uh, 509, that's U-Boat 509. Then he commanded, he was a skipper of U-994 and U-1221. He became a doctor of law after the war, okay? Uh, yep. You've got, uh, here's Villabad Volsing, who was a battleship officer with the Turpets. Now, yep. there are books and, and encyclopedia entries written about some of these guys and the ships upon which they served the Turpets. That is a very interesting story if nobody knows about it. Here's Kurt Rebs. Kurt Rebs. He served aboard U-5, uh, excuse me, 456. Uh, they torpedoed and damaged the HMS Edinburgh that was carrying the Russian gold supply, allowing three German destroyers to catch and sink her. So, I mean, these are men of history. And there's a lot of flyboys, too. Kurt Schultz, a Luftwaffe fighter pilot. Uh, we, we had some of his signed photos that we with sent the out to people. Cross. 100 combat missions, 100 combat missions with the Luftwaffe. Can you imagine what this man saw? I am holding in my hand right now as I talk to Harry Cooper. I am holding in my hand a signed photo of Kurt Schultz, who served 100 combat missions for the Luftwaffe. And it goes on and on and on. Here's Hans uh, Wolbier, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, a Stuka pilot, squadron leader, flew 405 missions between yep. 1943 and 1945 on the Russian front. He got uh, 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 decorated in gold for bravery. These are the people that uh, whose names and whose handwritten personal signatures and, and photo cards with a short bio you received. These are men of history. These are men of honor, Harry Cooper. Yep. They were all members of Shark Hunters and all friends of mine. What is it like to have known these men? I mean, these men that have been so maligned by the official history, the, the so-called official history, not the true <laughs> history, but what, what passes for history, to have known them, to have befriended them, yeah. to have earned their trust to where they're... You want know, the true history, you need to subscribe to the, and the yeah. Barnes Review. That's right. Yeah. What, what was it? One that be, the, Harry, 
What's that like? One of the things that popped up most in my mind after I started meeting them all, I met Otto Kretschmer, became good friends. They, he, he, and he said I was part of the family. I had a sleeping room. I remember I studied this man in high school and never knew I was ever going to meet the man, let alone be part of his family. I studied him in high school. It just, you know, it's uh, like incredible. It, 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 you can't describe it. These guys, every doggone one of them was straight up honest, honorable, the same as the guys I met from the U.S. Navy, uh, the, the Medal of Honor winning guys, and the guys I met from all the other navies. We only found one who was a skunk, and I kicked him out of Shark Hunters. He was a low-level enlisted man, and he was selling fake U-boat combat badges, claiming they were his during the war, but we kicked him out quickly. But they were all honest, honorable people, just like you and me, just like everybody I knew when I was in the military. We all were decent, honest people doing our duty for our country. And like I found out later in life, there's no such thing as a good war. Here, here. Well, it's certainly not amongst brothers, which was what uh, the world wars were, which is so many of the wars in Europe have been. Uh, yeah. But, Harry, I, I want to thank you again. We're going to get to that Cracker Barrel in Florida, and uh, we're going to do that soon, and we're going to break bread together again, brother. But I want to thank Absolutely. you again for the, the your life's work with Shark Hunters. SharkHunters.com, folks, $10 a month. You go to Starbucks one time. Why don't you support a guy that's actually helping our people as opposed to an organization, a conglomerate that's, that's hurting us? $10 a month, SharkHunters.com. All of the men he met, all of the stories, four times in four months he's been with us, and I can't wait for the next time already. And this and is you just read about been... it all in our magazine that you get for your 10 bucks a month. That's just part of it. And if you like the book, if you like the book, there's 18 sequels now uh, to, mm -hmm. to this book that we gave, and there's so many DVD movies all there available there in the Shark Hunter shop. Right, Harry? Yes, sir. And uh, not only the 18 volumes of this book, we've got lots of other books, too. Just go to SharkHunters.com, click on Shop, and you're there. And, folks, listen, if you want to spend money with a guy who deserves it, you want to spend money on something that will interest you, these stories, these veterans, these heroes, uh, it's, it's, it's a cause worth supporting. I envy Harry Cooper. I don't mind Thank you. sharing that. I envy Harry Cooper for having known these men. I met one Luftwaffe pilot. Uh, we interviewed him a couple of times. And in America, in the uh, American Air Force, the United States Air Force, you shoot down five people, you're an ace. That's like a slow week at the office. You got uh, kind of busted <laughs> down if you only shot down five. With the yeah. That's a little bit of an exaggeration, but, yeah, that, me, that, that's true. Let me true. throw in one last thing. Quickly. We've sold tens of thousands of books. They're guaranteed. If you don't like them, send them back. Not one single book has come back out of tens of thousands of books that we've sold. I, I don't doubt that at all. all the, the response that I've seen, some of which I've shared with you, all of the yep. the vets of the uh, United States military, including the the, uh, the Navy that have wanted these, couldn't wait to get them, uh, I, I believe it. Sharkhunters.com, first show of the year is in the book. I don't think we could have done it any better. Harry, I love you, pal. We'll talk to you again soon, and we'll have you back on the air soon as well. Roger Godspeed. For everyone else, we'll talk to you next week. For Keith Alexander, I'm James Edwards. For all the great guests tonight, especially Harry Cooper at SharkHunters.com, Happy New Year. We'll see you next week.
You're listening to Resolution Radio. 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 ResolutionRDO.com.